Welcome to the Mortal Realms. Grab your hammer so we can clear a path through the chaos and forge our own narratives in the Age of Sigmar. Your allies through the Realm Gate this episode are... This is Davey, shooting double arrows all the way across the rucking sky. This is Eric, feller of Archaeon and toppler of the filthy Domus War Mammoth. This is Steve, the holiest of hammerers and the builder of terrain and tables. In this episode, we will be covering the inaugural Holy Havoc Age of Sigmar Doubles event held November 4th through 6th, 2016. This event has an emphasis on well-painted armies, epic battles and stories on the table, and raising money for charity. We welcome event organizer and head of the Holy Hammerers, Steve Herner. Thanks for coming on uh, the show, Steve. Well, thanks for having me on the show, boys. Appreciate it. Yeah, Davey, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing amazing. Uh, very cool. What have uh, you know, Holy Hammer, uh, the Holy Havoc, sorry, got done this past weekend? Uh, Davey, have you gotten any hobby in uh, since uh, since we uh, got back? <laughs> yeah, and I'll tell you this: it's a it's a tribute to Steve and his event. Normally, after after a given event, I'm like on a on a hobby hiatus for one to two weeks because I'm I'm so burned out from prepping for it. This was literally like the day after I was like, I need to be on my hobby. And uh, we might talk about it a little bit later, but you and I were brainstorming like, what are we going to do next year? Like, how are we going to, how are we going to bring it home? So, um, yeah, I was sweet. a little surprised yeah. by how eager you were to start talking about next year's armies. Yeah. I was like, Davey, this is not like you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> put all the pressure on. Just, just uh, needed somebody to be more cool than you. And that was Steve, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> man my head's big enough yeah. if you didn't notice Davey was like we didn't win best army we have to do better than you did last this year yeah so, you, guys, you guys were <laughs> man it's one of my yeah. biggest regrets when we get into it when we get into the uh uh the the, the community phase or maybe in the story phase i'll tell you about the three-way ties because i i oh. failed to mention all those guys so yeah no we'll, we'll talk all about uh yeah all the amazing stuff that's there, uh, in the hobby phase. Yeah, um, and then, so, um, uh, I was, I'll just talk real quick. Cause I know, um, Steve, you've been working a ton, probably more than either of us since you got done. Cause you yeah. said you haven't had a, a day off. I, I switched to a quick uh, palette cleanser from the destruction, which I, I'm going to get back to here shortly. Cause I've got a few more models to add to it and some, uh, some grots to add onto it. But I, uh, went back to my uh, death army um, I've ha- had some, uh, I need some black knights for the army. And since my army has, uh, units from every other race, I had to, this was the place to put Bretonians. So I'm doing 15 Bretonian knights. So I'm just working on getting those bits cobbled together in the right ways. And then, uh, I wasn't, I had an idea that wasn't coming together. And then just today it came together. Um, I've got, uh, Neferata riding on a zombie Phoenix, um, and kind of a spectral Phoenix, yeah. Um, nice. and, uh, got some really cool ideas on how I'm going to monitor on the base and stuff. So, um, that's, you know, just, and then I bought a bunch of skeletons cause every need, I need more skeletons. So, um, other than that, then it's just, yeah, I've been brainstorming with, with Davey on, on next year's stuff. Um, so I'm afraid to ask then Steve, what have you been up to since Holy Attic ended? <laughs> uh, lots of, lots of terrain and tables. I'm immediately in the thrust of, uh, of working on uh, tables for holy wars um the realm of akshi is done if i finished it up this morning so that that bad boy's getting ready to be play tested this weekend and then i just before i got on the line with you guys was working on the 
realm of Azure. Um, it's going to be the Ooh, nice. table. Yeah, it's going to be a table where not only do you play a, on the tabletop, but you'll be playing above the tabletop. Ooh. Love it, 100% already. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it was cool. It's been something that's been so, it's been something I've wanted to do ever since I did the floating waterfall, which you guys saw this past yeah. weekend. So yeah. I'm taking what I learned from that and expanding upon it, and uh, it's going to definitely be the most ambitious project to date. Um, the uh, you'll be able to follow all the progress on my Twitter uh, Twitter feed, Holy Hammer oh. Hearn. Um, yeah, so I was working on that, and then yesterday, while uh, the lava, the the lava crusted river, um, that's the concept I was going with with my lava river for the actually table. While that was drying, I was painstakingly sculpting the leaves on the remnants of the cloak of Isha for my Sylvaneth, and uh, that yeah, I've been. Um, uh, my son challenged me on that one. Uh, my son Quinn <laughs> said, "Hey, Dad, why don't you? You know, you got these cloaks on these stormcasts and." You know, your Sylvaneth are going to fight alongside these Stormcasts, so why not put some cloaks on some of your Stormcasts? And I was like, damn, boy, um, that's a lot of work. And then I got, then I started thinking about it, and I looked over at my Orion model and said, all right, yeah, there's a cloak there. So, and then that yeah. way it ties the story together, you know? I'm bringing in yep. a little bit of the old world into the new. So. Yeah, I wish I could sculpt clean green stuff like you do. I am uh, going to have to to pick your brain or, or like we talked about next year, have some master classes, right? Yeah, actually we did that. Yeah. We'll have to talk. Maybe we can talk about that down in the hobby phase or yeah, uh, start talking so about many, so many good things to talk about. Yeah. Can't wait. Um, cool. So you've been building more boards for Holy Wars um, and, uh, and uh, doing some uh, building some terrain and, and getting yeah. some girl modeling together. How's your, I know you've got a plan to get everything built. I mean, all of your models built and, uh, you know, by the end of the year, you, you still thinking that you still planning ah, on that? Ah, hell no, man. That, oh, that, okay. that plan went out the window, like back in <laughs> August. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I screwed the pooch on that a long time ago. Uh, I built everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, when I decided that this Sylvaneth, this, well, see what I decided to do is I've been so perverted by the great horned rat mm. that, I decided I wanted to go back to order. The great horned rat with a hat is that? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I've been I've been so uh, so demented by my my consumption of warpstone that um, I've kind of lost sight of the the potential that was there in my old you know wood elf army and my sylvaneth army. Yeah. So then when the sylvaneth book dropped, I went in on that. So what happened was uh, when I started to, uh, I had made a promise that I wasn't going to buy any more models. Well, that didn't last very long. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, uh, so yeah. So what happened was when I, when I decided to go on in in on this order army, I decided that I wanted to have sculpting on every model, and that just that just blew up the plan. That just you know, yeah, like you, it does. In order, do, in order to do good sculpting, you can't you can't rush it, you know, because then it yeah. looks like crap and. Um, it just doesn't doesn't work well. So you gotta you gotta take your time on it. And it, it was an ambitious project. I started out with sculpting, you know, the fingers of all my dryads holding, you know, enchanted weaponry, and that just took forever. And then and then when I moved on to the cloaks of the stormcasts, it was it, it it you know it's just a process, but it takes forever. So Ooh, yeah, cool. I would have loved to have finished everything and had everything painted, but you know. I rule know. of cool. You got to go with where your heart leads you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. right. So, 
Yeah. Uh, well, cool. Well, it sounds like, as Davey stated, coming off of uh, Holy Havoc, we've all been kind of rearing to keep going and, and uh, keep building. So, yeah, definitely a testament to the atmosphere and the um, kind of goal of your, your event. Yeah. Um, why don't we head over to the community phase and uh, talk about a few things happening in the community? Sounds good. The community phase. In the community phase, we talk about news and events that are significant to the AOS community. Cool. So um, a couple of things that are happening. Uh, RAW 2016 is happening uh, just in the next two weeks, November 18th to the 20th. Um, and I know uh, Jimbo and, and Mitzi and a few of them have been uh, posting their terrain and tables. Um, and what a cool concept of, you know, four tables together equal one realm. Um, and, uh, you know, I know that uh, they're going all out talking with, you know, they've been in touch with you, Steve, and, mm-hmm. and chatting and brainstorming and stuff. And they've been pulling people from all their community to co- collaborate. And there's Times of War by Mango for the Endless Desert, which obviously Endless Destruction is happy with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, just another really cool um, alternative event, um, narrative event that, that we're really excited to see what happens with it. Yeah, I just um, want to take a quick aside on that and that thing where the four tables to a realm, uh, you know, so I, I got my real start in uh, Texas as far as uh, competitive play and Capital City Carnage did that sort of thing where they'd have, you know, from from one end of a set of, you know, 10 plus tables to another, you, you start at one end and it would be one continuous grade and, you know, they, they weren't even doing anything specific there as far as, as realms, but visually it was so cool and just added that little bit to your game. So I, uh, I'm really excited to see that thing that, that, uh, continuing even in a more focused nature, uh, at another event. Like it's, it's just a real cool little touch. So, yeah. Now they, you know, we get, we keep hearing that there's not a ton of storage in the UK, but the, where they're building this terrain and, and uh, showing the, off these tables, it looks like a pretty good-sized warehouse to be working inside of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I don't know if that's where the event is held or if uh, they're in a pocket dimension of the UK, that a, a place that actually has more than you know, 100 square feet of space. Um, but it seems like a fun place to work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another bit of news, uh, the GW um, Games Workshop announced on their Facebook, many of their Facebook pages that this upcoming week they'd be posting um, a, a new official community website. Yeah. Um, and tons of speculation. What do you guys think uh, is coming out of uh, GW as far as what, what's their concept of community website, do you think? Well, for me, I check out that uh, they got their, their web blog every, every day, and it's just got you know a random thing. Usually it have something to do with what the release is that week, but not always. You know, Sometimes it's whatever they got. That's that's something I check daily, so I'm assuming this is, you know, a easier to find version of that where, you know, uh, I want to see what their what's what's their daily blog post. I can hop on and check that, but I think it's going to be more than that. But uh, as far as that goes, it's anyone's guess. Steve, any guesses? Um, I was the my first impression was maybe they're going to kind of bring back that forum type of community that they used to have mm-hmm. that they eventually shut down. I'd love to see that. Um. I know it's a challenge for them, though, and in being in the business and, you know, monitoring a forum like that can get quite overwhelming. So maybe that's a little too wish, too much wishful thinking on my part. I, I wasted a lot of time in those forums checking oh, yeah. stuff out. So, um, I, but, and I really missed it when they shut it down. You know, it was a great, it was a great resource for discussions on, 
you know, rules and FAQs and all that stuff. So I'd, I'd love to see them go, go back to that, but I'm not holding my breath. So, yeah. you know. I tell you yeah, what, though, like that community engagement thing that they're doing, it's it's uh, it's more than they've ever done, and it's a it's a huge step up from where they've been. So, like anything, I I genuinely feel like anything's possible as far as that goes at this point. Yeah, yeah, I, I would doing, agree with that. They've been doing a lot of like curating content from the player base, uh, from Instagram and from, uh, you know, other places. Either putting, obviously, asking people if they can get their armies into the white dwarf or, or even visions when that was going. And, you know, most recently they put up a, a gallery that you can go and look at people's content from Instagram and it'll have a link to the, you know, kind of corresponding model that you can purchase in the store. <coughs> so, you know, with those kinds of things, I'm wondering if they aren't going to get into like, Hey, look at this group, this person's building some terrain. Let's put together that kind of progress and put that into a white dwarf. So I'm wondering if, it's a little more, you know, curation for that kind of content. At the same time, they've got that gallery they just put up. So I don't. Why would you do that a week before? I mean, unless you needed more content just to, uh, on the launch day. But I, uh, yeah, I can't quite figure out what piece is missing um, that they they want to get into that Facebook or these other you know places aren't aren't providing. But uh, excited to see what it is, and and uh, hopefully it'll be something that'll be easy to get on board with and. And work into the regular schedule. I'm a Twitter hound, so if it could somehow connect with that, would be great. So I'm not on just one more platform. <laughs> um, but uh, and then a really big news was announced uh, this past well, past couple of weeks. First, um, Holy Wars GT, the third annual, um, was announced uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I think you're all all full up, but starting a waiting list um, yeah, for we- February February 17th through the 19th. Yes, sir. Yeah, um, it's coming up. We have uh, we currently have uh, thirty nine players signed up, and um, we originally only had room for thirty, but we're going to try to squeeze in. After Holy Havoc, we took a look at the room, and I think with some creative table placement, we might be able to squeeze in another table, maybe two, but I'm not holding my breath on that. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it's it's the most we've ever had signed up. And for that event, we sold out in two hours. Wow! Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, I won't. I won't say on the year where, where I'm currently signed up, and that I'm thinking of not doing that. Maybe instead doing Holy Wars. I've got a I've got a real conflict of conscience that I've got to to work through. Because, <laughs> but uh, you know, first world problems. And it all is. That. We we had to take him into the confessional booth, and we'd uh, get get spiritual with it. Like, where is he? Where is he going with his uh, hobby here? So. <laughs> yeah. What, what's my purpose on this earth? Yeah, exactly. Um, but then, uh, announced, uh, just a day ago or two days ago, I think, or maybe even today, um, uh, Holy Havoc, the second annual Holy Havoc, it was successful enough that they're doing again, folks. Yeah. Uh, nope. November 3rd through 5th, 2017. So the same, same weekend, uh, that this year was, but the first weekend in November. And, and I'm not uh, saying anything, but uh, 100% of successful Holy Havocs have included Mortal Realms teams. So uh, I, mean, <laughs> I don't know if there's a correlation there, but there might be. <laughs> a one-to-one. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Cause and effect. 100%. Um, cool, cool. Well, um, you know, th- through this, uh, so this this episode again, we're going to be talking all Holy Havoc um, this past uh, weekend and our fun there. Um, I want to take a minute to talk about the Holy Havoc sponsors because they made they helped make for a pretty great event. Um, so 
Steve, um, do you want to talk through um, uh, the sponsors and, and kind yeah, of how they absolutely. plugged in? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, well, we've had uh, we've been blessed. Our tournament's been blessed to have five uh, tremendous sponsors. Um, this year, we had a new sponsor, which was uh, the Mortal Realms podcast. So, thank you, gentlemen, and uh, helping us out with the the wonderful token sets that were in everybody's players' packs. Yeah, that, was that was awesome. Uh, Six squared. Uh, they're the guys who pr- provided the combat, the custom combat gauges with our logo on there. Those were really awesome, and, and I absolutely love that we were able to give those out to all of our players. Saw it used uh, quite a bit. Oh yeah, and then we've got uh, Chromelik. Uh, he has been a uh, a great supporter of all of our events, providing uh, a model to our best appearance winners. Um, so he's, he's, he's always been stellar with us. He's, um, so if you haven't, if you haven't ever checked out their, their models, I would definitely go on there and check, check those guys out. Um, you can find a link to that from the, at the Holy Wars website. Uh, then we have uh, castle kits and Ian Martin and, uh, the whole Skaven table is, and, uh, the tomb King or excuse me, the realm of Shaish is, uh, or I should say the endless desert. There you go, Tyler. Nailed it. <laughs> uh, all that stuff, all that great. All that, all that great stuff is from Castle Kits, and uh, they do a great job. So what, what Ian does is he uses the Hertz Arts uh, mold kits. And what he does is he does all the casting for you and then sends it over to you for, for you to build. And it's really awesome. And he's great. Um, he's been a, he's been a uh, founding so, uh, sponsor of our event. And then our big prize support guy is uh, the TC War Room. Uh, they're the guys who provided us with the – uh, the great prize support, uh, the models, um, just awesome. And that's uh, Wayne Berry. A lot of you guys who are out there in the, you know, in the in the Warhammer gaming universe know Wayne. He's a great guy, top notch guy. Uh, if you check out tcwarroom.com, it's going to kick you over to their Facebook page, and just it's it's awesome. Wayne will hook you up with uh, all types of uh, discounts on shipping. But uh, you know, he's just he's really fa- fabulous, and he is just come through for the Holy Wars event. So I can't say enough more. I can't say enough about Wayne and what, what TC war room has done for us. So thanks to all of our sponsors, because without them, it really, you know, it, it just, it really does help because then what we're able to do is we're able to take any kind of funds that we have and work those funds back into the event to make the event even better. And that's, you know, giving our players great tables and terrain to play on. Great. Yeah, it was, uh, it was our pleasure. It was, um, great to get uh, these tokens into players' hands. Heard a lot that uh, people were using them, that they were a useful tool for them. And um, I got one of those castle kits that I'm excited to put together, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to bury it in sand and, yeah. uh, you know, uh, make it a dried oasis or something like that. So mm-hmm. excited for it. No, great sponsors and, and made for a great event. All right. Um, that wraps up our uh, community phase. Uh, let's head into um, talking about the stories and kind of epic moments uh, from the event. The story phase. In the story phase, we delve into the stories, characters, creatures, and environments of Holy Havoc. <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, th- the first thing I wanted to talk about, and I know that you've been on some other shows. Um, and, uh, you know, talking about the, the tables, the rules, kind of, kind of how the, how the effects are kind of the, the strategic part of it, yeah. but you, you've got a ton of tables and we specifically got, um, were there 20 tables at, uh, Havoc? 
No, so there was there was uh, there's actually only ten tables at Havoc. Ten. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My math is terrible. We should it's all okay. know this by now. Um, so there's ten tables. Um, why don't, what I would love to do is talk through now the specifically the ones that were at Havoc, and I know you've got other ones um, that you're building and have sure. built for for Holy Wars. But these ten tables, what are the stories behind them? Um, what are kind of um, what when you were building them? I know when you're building them, you've got to have some sort of idea in your head of like what made this space and, and where yeah. did it come from? Um, so why don't we start with table one, which was uh, the the high elf table, um, right? Uh, tell us about, the, I guess let's just go from one, two, three, all the way down and just talk a little bit about the story of those tables. All right. We have the shrine of the Phoenix on table number one, the mysterious fate of the elves still swirls in the mortal realms. The secrets may lay inside the shrine of the Phoenix. Well, the, the Genesis was all from eighth edition. So, you know, when we, what, what inspired me to create the tables as a whole for our Holy Wars events were the great, wonderful history that we had from 8th edition. So, um, you know, the the Shrine of the Phoenix table, the High Elf table, as it once was called, but now it's called the Shrine of the Phoenix, um, right. that table was inspired by, you know, the artwork of the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this word, but I, I won't even, I won't even try and say it, but you know, like where the <laughs> white lions come from now, where the white lions come from, you know, the, 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 <laughs> the cliffs, the white cliffs, you know, kind of like the cliffs of Dover. Yeah. Um, what, what I did when I first started, um, let me back up a little bit. So when I first started this whole process, I sketched out my ideas based upon the maps that we would get in each army book. And then I looked upon the, um, I looked at different areas and things that I might want to emulate. Okay. So, you know, originally, so like for originally what we're calling now the Shrine of the Phoenix was the Shrine of Hoeth, right? Mm -hmm. So we had, so that's how we kind of, that's how I went ahead and started to design the tables. And the tables, the tables themselves with anything I do, it just kind of, it just kind of happens. So, so I might, I might have an idea or a concept in my, in, in you know, in, in mind. And then as I'm starting to build it, it, it starts to take shape. So with the shrine, with the elf table and the shrine of the Phoenix, what, what I wanted was that tall pinnacle tower where, where the armies could go and, and rummage for, for ancient, spells and power mystical powers and and so the the concept of the 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 shrine of the phoenix is that you know when when you get in there you can you're going to improve your magic abilities and then we have the the elf beacons and so if i don't know if you guys got into the did you guys play on that table i don't think you did no wait you guys our did, first game definitely yeah, did first game. Yeah. so did your wizard get in the tower and did you use the elf beacons to to send out you know to increase your range the, the slaughter, the, the, the butcher was a little confused at how to use a door. Uh, <laughs> so, maybe, uh, maybe he couldn't fit. All right. Well, yeah. We, yeah how we <laughs> needed to get up to that, uh, near that base and, and, uh, be able to get in there. He was, he was a little, uh, I think a little, he was a little drunk. He was a little yeah. drunk. And okay. the, the bone right. splitters, uh, wizards are too busy dancing behind my, my posse. So, yeah. Okay. All right, all right, okay. Well, big bummer. So, if you ever come to Holy Wars, you'll have to do that because that's a uh, obje- objective, okay? Yeah. Uh, to actually use the terrain. So that's that. You know, that was kind of the the genesis. So, like with with the Elf table, the Shrine of the Phoenix table, we have this very lush plain, and then we've got these white, stark white pinnacle cliffs and rock crags, um, and then the tower. 
itself is made from those those rocks and those stones that bright white and that's how we tie it all together i think so i'm gonna move yeah. on to the next one if that's okay yeah no i was i was just gonna say it was it was a really cool concept of being high magic you know um these focuses that allowed you to to extend your your magical reach that the area was just full of that um kind of the yeah the the magic of the realm and and uh, yeah, it was a really cool, just uh, very. I mean, the size. This wasn't a, like a kind of a tall tower, like you're. Like I think it, the tower ends up being like eye level, the top of just the tower. About, that, yeah, you know, just about. Yeah, just about. So it's yeah. it's in your view. It's not you know just kind of you know it's not just twelve inches off the table like this. Right. Four <laughs> inches. Thir- you know, it's crazy. We, we joke about like not not getting in there, but the reality was like the battle was way you know raging back and forth across like who could get somebody in a position to do that. And I think both sides wanted to take advantage of that, and neither could right. get the dominance well, there, to do so. Yeah. Before we go any further, I mean, you know, one of the things that we when I was designing the tables in Eighth Edition, I was making those types of choke points you guys encountered on the battlefield. Yeah, I love so, it. So. Um, and now with the placement, since we since you guys played on the high elf table, like if you can imagine, I don't know if you got the if you have a photo in front of you or not, but um, the it was you know for eighth edition it was more spread out, right? So you had more of that conventional placement for for terrain, and then you know once Age of Sigmar dropped, my it just was like the world went it just like the whole world opened up to me, and I was like, oh my gosh, I can do what I've always wanted to do, and just like really make this a battlefield where you really have to think tactically about movement. So, you know, with that table and with our terrain, all of it, you know, you, you really have to think about where you're going to move because, you know, you, you might, um, you might not be able to land that giant monster, that giant Archon, you know, Archeon down with his big pie plate because there's not enough space. Right. So, um, so it doesn't surprise me that you guys weren't able to get in there. And then that's the other thing too, is that you also had to, you also had to, you know, if you're going to move up and over, you gotta, you gotta calculate that, the movement distance. So it makes it a little bit more of a challenge for sure. Yeah. I think you, you, in this terrain too, is the ability to say, no, you have to take the stairs. Like here's the entry to this terrain piece. And so moving in those right ways. And I mean, it just adds to that. Um, yeah, yeah, in, in age of Sigma often you can just move up and over, which is very freeing. Um, but also to have, I think there's there's also not often enough impassable or line of sight blocking things, and yeah. and the terrain on this table did both, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. You have to move around it, and sometimes you can't see through it. Right, so. and the and that 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 the shrine of the shrine of the phoenix, the stairs wrap around, right? So it's on one side, and then you have to you have to wrap around to get to the door. So it's not like it's just a simple straight shot to the door. Yep. And that was designed, you know, based on artwork from the, from the high elf book. When you look at, you know, the, the ornate trying to convey the ornateness of, of elven design. And that's what we were trying to achieve there. And I, I feel like we, I think we did a good job. What's really yeah. cool about that, that about the tower is that that it's essentially just made of cardboard you know uh and we cut all the shingles from from uh, cereal boxes so uh, oh nice yeah jason jason uh cut all those shingles so he he was really mad at me afterwards so, was, <laughs> <laughs> so i'm like he's like can i do anything to help build terrain i'm like yeah you can do something i have been dreading here cut these shingles for me so anyway so let's move on so uh We've got the next table. Table two was the Temple of Cain. The search for the sacrificial dagger continues, and the blood will flow as armies seek to harness the dark power of Cain. 
And then we've got the Temple of Cain sitting in the middle of the table. Now, this table in uh, in the old world was our dark elf table. And um, what we have on this table is we, what I wanted to convey was this this feeling, this ominous feeling of these the frozen wastes, the um, the the feeling of just that when you're moving through this this kind of frozen tundra, if you will, um, the feeling that um, that there's just pure evil upon this table. Now, this table, a lot of people love the visual of this table, mm-hmm. and I'm um, super thrilled by that. Um, but the Temple of Cain, what what the essence of this is, is that you know it's this kind of concept of like the stab, you know, the dagger, the um, uh, what was it from the Dark Elves? The stab. Uh, come on, help me out, guys. Uh, sacrificial dagger. Sac- Thank you, sacrificial dagger. It's late. Okay, so um, the sac the sacrificial dagger, and the and then we have the we have the statue uh, on top of Cain, and um, we wanted to convey that that concept of of this area where um, you know there there's still. There are still these harbingers out there who still worship Cain, even though we're in the new in the new realms, and we're, sure. uh, yeah. you know, and uh, that you know we don't really know what's happened with the elves. So part of it's, you know, we're kind of holding on to the past, and yeah, you know, creative license too. Yeah, elves typically do that. They kind of hold on to the past. Oh yeah, a little bit. <laughs> right, All right. So, um, so that's what we had there, and and in that table we also have the temple of the mistress. So uh, you can use your own. Uh, your own, you you know, you can probably guess who the mistress may or may not be. Mm-hmm. Uh, she might, she might currently be with Slunish. We don't know, um, but yes. So uh, that's what we have with the Temple of Cain. And uh, um, this particular table is the rule of the kind of the fog, um, kind of rolling through. Was was um, was that? No, that was one of the no, scenarios. That was, so it wasn't yeah, necessarily that was the table. Scenario. That was a scenario. Yeah, yeah. with the uh, fog. But, but for us, we had the fog on this table, and, uh, and just really kind of a great foggy. <laughs> <laughs> but also you set the didn't mood. Move very much, did you? <laughs> it set the mood for the for this table uh, for having that additional kind of you know it was random which table you'd be on to be using this rule. Uh, but it was really cool to have that yeah that dark the dark terrains, uh, especially next to the the light terrain of the of the uh, Phoenix Temple table. Um, so, but then having a, a fog on top of it definitely. Yeah, you, got, you, you guys got to play on both of the elf tables. We that's did. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Man, yeah. I should I should have did more. Uh, I should have I should have wrote a story about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty cool, dude. Um, the 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 essence of this table. This table was something that I, you know, I, I as a player who who played wood elves, um, this it was this this table is like probably are my favorite and definitely the fan favorite. Everybody just loves playing on this table and the, the, the rock crags, you really get a sense that you were in the dark elf kingdom when you were playing on this table. Um, and it, it just really, it just resonates throughout the experience when you're rolling dice and moving your army through there. And if you, if you, if you, you know, if your leader gets up there or any hero gets up into the temple of Cain and being able to sacrifice members of their armies to gain benefits is just so awesome. It just fits the fluff so well. That was our, in this case, that was definitely where our warlord was going. Uh, well, it will get to that, but uh, yeah, being up there, being able to kind of, yeah, take out a couple of Oryx in order to, to further your plans was, was definitely Absolutely. on our mind. Yeah. And I then we have, 
Oh, go ahead, bud. I was going to say, I think the, the table influenced us to some dark thinking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it did. That's my excuse. <laughs> All right. And then we have, um, let me find, hold on a second. I've lost my, hold on real quick. Table so three, I think was the um, Empire City. It was, yeah. It's the Empire City. So um, what we have here on that table, if I go to my bit of fluff that I have. Or, or Free Guild City, right? Yes. Well, yeah, Free Guild, I guess so. Free Peoples. So Free it's peoples. the it's the, it's the uh, the world of men is not at the end. It's Sigmar's people still live on in the mortal realms and will flourish in glory again. And here we have this table where the college – the collegiate arcane still exists. And this is yeah. where where your wizards can go and and unlock the mysteries of the old magic lore of heavens. And so, what we have here is the the the, college, the collegiate arcane is the combination of two stellar stellar Games Workshop models. Okay, uh, it's the Skullvane Mance, which is by far my favorite piece of uh, terrain that they've ever made i'm gonna back you um, up on and, that and, it's one of my faves actually my, my number one yeah yeah it's it's fabulous and then we have across from that it's connected to the dreadstone blight and so <laughs> um it's this ruined part portion of the of the collegiate and um and then throughout the city so that's in the center of the city and you have these roads these roadways moving into the city and and we have um we have a fortif- we have our fortified manor, our watchtower, our guardhouse, and our chapel um, throughout. And and this table is one of the more fun tables to play on. Um, it's got choke points all over the place. It's a great story. At Holy Wars, I'm going to talk a little bit about Holy Wars with this table because Holy Wars, you're restricted on your deployment zones for this table. You have to hmm. deploy in these small sections of grass, and then when you call to war units, they have to come in on the roads. So it, it adds a whole other flavor and dimension to the gameplay experience. That's cool. Yeah. And then... Um, the next table we had at Havoc was our Ogor table, which should be right up your alley there. Yeah, we didn't get we did we did get we didn't get on this table. We did get on the 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 Orc and Grotz table, but either either opportunity was great for us. In this table we've entitled the Great Maw Challenge, and the the Great Maw the Great Maw may or may not exist in the New Age. Who knows? But what does still exist is the Ogre's <clears throat> unfulfilled hunger. And so upon this table, we have a relic from the old age called the Challenge Stone. And this, that, that's that big monolithic stone that sits in the middle and has been beaten by other ogre <laughs> chieftains and has, has graffiti upon it of the ogre chieftains who have successfully uh, defended or defeated a rival in a challenge. And um, this this table actually got a lot of positive feedback uh, from this event because of what the what the challenge stone bestowed upon um, the, upon the forces that were within six inches of it. Uh, units would gain plus one to hit and plus one to wound, um, and, and, and units of the forces of destruction would roll a d6, and on a d6 or on a six, all heroes would gain an additional attack. And oh, then, man. yeah, yeah, I know you guys would have loved it. Um, <laughs> and then you have the ogre hut, which is across the way, where we have a, a stream of ogres po- coming out of a hut, 
And uh, that area is also surrounded by three bonfires. And the concept there is that when the ogres, when you're within three inches of the ogre hut, you can reroll uh, dice rolls of a six when taking battle shock tests for the unit. And, and um, yeah, so it's pretty cool, pretty cool effects on that table. And that, that one was great. Yeah, so it was a, it's the wastelands, you know. And now with the new with with the new battle tome that's out, which I still need to buy. Thank you guys for your editorial reviews of of stuff keeping us all in the loop but i absolutely <laughs> love that concept of the the stone the like kind of like the wintry thing so i might have to do something for that i might have to give this table a little bit of snow or something to kind of bring that in yeah um, i really like the snow effect you've got going on in the azir table um, oh, yeah. Yeah. it's really cool okay and then we got table number five and table number five is Definitely got some story around it because there's a certain someone who wanted to turn off a terrain piece on table number five. Table number five is our orc and goblin table, gazing and stomping with Mork or Gork. The wag can <laughs> still be heard from the from realm to realm, shattering the ears of all who dare stand before the hordes of the mighty greenskins. <laughs> and on this table, what we've got is we've got the Arachnorok spider, the nest of the Arachnorok, right dead center. And that just loves to eat everything within 3D, six inches of it. And there's a certain player, hmm, I wonder who, who was able to roll off on the command <laughs> trait, right? Was that it, Eric? The command that's, trait? That's, that's, that's what happened. Yeah. Uh, Maybe we should save that for, uh, for <laughs> later, but we are in the story phase, right? Should we get into yes. that story? Well, that, yeah, that, so that, that'll certainly going to reveal that, but yeah, um, this was certainly would have been the most epic, um, story <laughs> for this particular table. Uh, right. Well, let's save what, it. Let's save it for okay, that we'll section. Save, we'll save yeah, we'll save, we'll save it. We'll save it. Cause I have quite the rant. Um, oh, it's going to be awesome. All right. Uh, all right. So that's the orc and and Gratz table. Sorry, not goblins. Gratz. I should know better. Um, or rooks. Yeah, yeah. I always say it wrong. Um, anyway, so also on the table we have this idol of Mork slash Gork. Um, and actually, what's really cool about that is that was probably I think, if memory serving me correctly, I think that might have been this was actually the first table I designed and or actually built. Oh, cool. uh, for Holy Wars. Um, oh, and, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, and Bork uh, slash Gork Idol was the first one I built. And that's all made out of pink foam, that thing. Um, yeah, so that that was actually, yeah, that's very, yeah, I'm getting all nostalgic now. Okay, I see where the favoritism would have come from. Yes. Um, <laughs> this, this is all coming a, together now. Yeah, well, it was a pain in the ass to paint that spider. Um, just, to, just for a piece of terrain, right? Um, yep. Anyway, yeah, what tournaments do that? Spend that much money on a kit and just have it be a terrain piece. Anyway, moving on. All right, so now we come to another. God, I love all my tables. I'm sitting here looking at the pictures, and I love them all. We have the Nurgle table, and this is the Worm Rid Reaches. So I don't know if you guys remember the demon book from from, uh, Eighth Ed, but there was this wonderful – this wonderful map of the demon realms and in the nurgle part of the realm there were this there was this place that always screamed out to me and it was these worms and uh so for that we have i created my own worm rid reaches the great worm of nurgle is always searching for new prey and at the beginning of each player well i won't get into the rules but let me just say this he just loves to eat you and eat you up now at holy wars um this sucker is devastating um it has 80 wounds 
this year for Holy Wars. So and uh, and then we also had the one the wonders of the necrotic ooze. It's rivers of ooze that are spreading out across the boards, and um, we have something to talk about in the stories we heard about section of the story phase. Yeah, it's really fun table. We got to play on this one, but we'll get there. Uh, necrotic streams and lots of rock crags. That was table six. Moving on to table seven. Uh, yeah, there's there's so much to say about this table. This is the Seraphon table in the Shrine of Sotek. This table here was is Lustria, basically. Um, and it's Lustria in the New Realms. Um, this is where when those when those star traveling seraphon decide that they want to vacation from the stars, they come down <laughs> they come down upon to this realm. This is a realm that is not out there yet. So this is a a lustrian realm that a fragment of lustria that still exists floating out there in the cosmos and this is where the seraphon come to get a respite and we have upon this table the um uh, the the great um shrine of sotek the the old god of the seraphon when they were known as the lizard men and we have the floating waterfall um which is uh a uh really fun terrain piece to play upon yeah this is very much worth checking out um and there, there's a couple tables you get to some of the the uh, zinch table but we got these it's not just terrain on the table it's terrain like floating above the table like really gives you that aos feel you know and, yeah. and i know you were attacking this before aos came around but uh this this is the sort of thing that you look at the picture of the aos you're like oh my god that's so cool and this right. is capturing that idea you know yeah. Well, this table, I designed this, actually, uh, th this piece of terrain. So I made a commitment that for every Holy Wars, I would have a new signature piece of terrain. And when we decided to do AOS, um, my decision was to make the floating waterfall and to do the floating rocks. I was inspired by the artwork in the, from GW. And, and, and yeah, so it was totally inspired by the studios of GW. And, yeah, so um, the fluff behind it, behind this is that um, – the favor of Sotek is that, uh, you know, though the Seraphon are now part of myth and legend, the great power of Sotek still pulses through the realms. And Sotek doesn't get favor lightly, but those who attempt fate may find glorious victory in the end. And we That's have awesome. a story centered around that. So, um, yeah. So then we move on to a table that is most certainly and will always be a part of Holy Wars. And this is... Our realm of Shai-ish, the Sands of Time, is how we titled it for Holy Havoc. But for Holy Wars, we are calling it the Endless Desert. Um, through the age, uh, through the age of great kings, though the age of great kings are over, they shall rise again uh, from their eternal sleep to vanquish all who stand in their way. And this is our Tomb King slash whatever dead table. Yeah. And uh, on this particular table, we have our signature terrain pieces, the Shifting Sands. And once again, we'll be coming back to that when we get into the stories we heard about during the event. So um, do you know who is the character who's that giant of a being that's buried <laughs> in the sand? Who is that? Uh, is that, is that a, <laughs> I thought it, maybe it was a former uh, Holy Hammerer. Uh, no, it's not a former <laughs> Holy Hammerer, but... Uh, Current Holy Hammerer? Yeah. 
it might be someone who's not with us anymore. No, he moved to Portland. Uh, <laughs> we'll make that in honor of Kyle Frank, a former a former Holy Hammer who now lives on the West Coast. And Kyle actually, uh, God, I miss Kyle. Um, Kyle was the one who came up with the first set of rules for the Shifting Sands. So uh, it will always be a part of our tournament for sure. Um, and then we got uh, the next table. Um, let's see. Ah, oh, yes. The Rats and Hats. Um, and this is a table that had to be here since, especially with the way the scenarios were designed. And this is, uh, the Skaven's unquestionable hunger continues in the new age, as we all know. And, um, this essentially is our, uh, this table was inspired completely from the whole fluff of how the Skaven, um, you know, when the clock, when the clock tower rang 13 and that's when the Skaven, you know, when the lightning was coming down and then the land was turned to a marsh. Do you remember yeah. all that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's how this whole table, this is the table as that's happening, right? So that's what this concept was. And this table also represents the table for castle kits. You know, the all the terrain was our castle kit stuff. Um, the buildings. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, this, this piece was, uh, this one was truly a labor of love um, for me because the to be able to get the leaning, the tower kind of leaning the way it was, was, was definitely definitely uh, a risk and uh to, to pull it off i mean i don't know i don't know if you guys got a chance to see how much of an angle that is but it was uh, yeah it was it was it's been pretty awesome to see the players just loving that table and, and yeah and i think and, uh, imagining it is if that were if that were plastic i think it'd be like oh yeah it, it leans mm-hmm. um but the fact that it's it's the dental plaster or the yeah you know, the <laughs> stuff that stuff's right. heavy. Like that's not oh, yeah. like that's a that's a feat of engineering right there, sir. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, and it's uh, uh, very happy with that one. Very happy. Cool. Yeah. All right, so let's move on because I could go on about rats and hats all the time. <laughs> all right, here we go. And now we have um, we move on to Zinch. Um, oh yeah, my one of my favorites. And Zinch, the twisted, swirling magic resonates throughout the realms as the changer of wave, uh, f- f- as the changer of waves continues to weave the threads that connect every action plot and subtle intrigue in the Age of Sigmar. And so, for this table, um, wow, uh, how does how do I where do I go? There's so yeah. many weird things going on on this table. Um, There's so rocks floating everywhere. Yeah. So let me explain that to you. So that that rock, the the black pit. Oh, okay, yeah. so the Black Pit is on, once again, if you reference your old 8th edition demon book, there's a thing on there in the Realm of Zinch it's called the Black Pit. And it's basically this inverted floating uh, rock. And uh, Michelle, my wife, uh, holy hammer number one, really, um, <laughs> she she said to me, she's like, so I designed this this rock, right? And I just had it sitting flat on the like an inverted mountain that would sit flat on the table surface. And then it was like... I had like this black pit, you know, like the spray painted, like almost like a black hole on top of it. And then, uh, bell, she looks at me and she goes, she goes, what the hell is that? And I said, well, it's the black pit. And then I showed it to her, you know, and she's like, it's not floating. And I looked at her, I'm like, well, how the hell am I supposed to make it float? And so she's like, well, I don't know, figure it out. And so, and so it's like for a long time, I was trying to figure out how I was going to make it work in the gameplay. Cause you, you know, and then, and then it was that that kind of like that acrylic riser that I used to elevate it. And when I found that and it was, it's so thin and I'm like, wow, you could just move through that. You know, you could just kind of like 
pretend it's not there because it's only, you know, it's like less than an eighth inch thick, right? So you could like battle underneath the black pit. And so it was when that happened, it was just like, oh yeah, that's awesome. And that sucker, that that that's awesome. I love playing on this table. In fact, I, I think my kids love this table the most because there's just so much crazy stuff that happens. And then and then you've got the pillars of Zinch, and these pillars of Zinch are floating rocks, kind of inspired, definitely inspired by Arches National Park. So oh, I don't know yeah, if you guys are nice. familiar. Yeah. Not. It's definitely inspired from that. Okay, so like Balanced Rock, which is a uh, famous rock formation there at uh, Arches. And um, before Age of Sigmar, um, those rocks were actually on the sands of Zinch. So the swirling sands, uh, there's two swirling sands. And each rock pillar was kind of like inside the swirls. Can you guys you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And so they were they acted – Originally, they acted basically under the forest rules, right? And then with Age of Sigmar, pulling them out and then making those uh, those footprints, the sands of Zinch, oh my gosh, it just changed the whole dynamic of the table. And then you have a terrain piece that I did. This was another signature terrain piece. It's called the Eye of Zinch. Now, the Eye this is a beautiful, like, oh, thanks. Man. beyond like just a train piece like that's a piece, that's a sculpture right there yeah yeah it's very cool yeah thanks so um, that's an impassable too so don't try to run across it when you're <laughs> <paying attention. laughs> uh no you don't want to run across that that'll yeah. that'll hurt no, um it did yeah it's pretty it's pretty potent um it's even more potent in holy wars uh scenarios it's just deadly but any and but anyway the the Eye of Zinch, I've I've gotten some actual criticism on it, believe it or not, because of because of how stark and bright it is um, compared to the rest of the table. Like some some players have asked me to mute it down, but I'm like, no, it's Zinch. He would he'd be if he if the Eye of Zinch was going to show up in the shape of his symbol, he would be garish and right out there in front. Oh, absolutely, and he would say, "Look at me," and so. This this was actually a piece that I had designed and I had cut the footprint out um, for Holy Wars one, um, and um, I just never got around to doing it. You know, it was one of those things where I just kind of I guess I just ran out of time. So I'm glad it's on the table. It's definitely a a great terrain piece. And then I think that's it, boys. So that's all ten tables. That's all. That's all tables. of them. I mean, I think uh, and the emphasis here. Um, what's cool about what you've done in Holy Wars? and what the you know is that the tables aren't just you know like terrain set up you know to be kind of equal across all tables like you might find at a at a tournament where you have you know a, a good even proportion of woods and and uh you know rocks and impassable and line of sight like it's not calculated like that each table has its own personality and therefore it's got its own balance okay. um some tables hit harder you know, because the the fury behind them, right? The and some tables are just infused with more magic because that's where the that's where the because the inhabitants that built this, um, you know, came they have a huge magic focus. And so, um, but even just the character of each table, each character, each table is so unique, and you know that you're in a different place. You know, you're in a different time, and it's and it's it's consistent throughout. And yeah, in the Age of Sigmar, you you have had to add terrain and, and kind of build them out more, um, but it stayed consistent. It's not just filler, you know, terrain. Um, you know, it's it fits and it's intentional and it's it sets the mood for every single game. Yeah. Well, that that's ultimately that's ultimately what I wanted to do with with my events. Um, I 
um, hobby first, gaming second. I've never been a hardcore beat your facing type of gamer. Um, you know, hell man, I'm the guy who went to the masters and forgot to use his magic phase when he was on camera. So, you know, I, I'm just a crap player. Right. And I would always forget to ring the bell. I mean, just stupid stuff. And I've got probably the biggest bell of any Skaven player out there. You know, I've got this huge, and I still forget to ring the damn thing. Um, so for me, it's always been about the hobby. So to hear you say that, to hear you talk about the cinematic feel, the immersion and the tables, that that just feeds my hobby soul. So it's I'm I'm happy to hear that. I'm happy you guys well, enjoy the tables. It's reciprocal because, like you said, that's that's part of what feeds us to you. Absolutely. But, uh, um, and and so let's go to some of the the stories that we that you've heard from people playing on the tables. And sure. um, you know the when you're on the table, you're with you another. You got four people around the table, and you've got these you know, unique models and you have these epic models and that sort of thing. What were some of the, yeah, what were some of the stories that you've heard from the event either there or afterwards? Well, when I was there, uh, we featured, we featured this occurrence. It was on the, um, it happened on the Shaiish table. Um, and that was with Kenny Lull's Kenny Lull and uh, Nathaniel Ellis. They were playing a combo of, um, fire slayers and, um, Lizards versus yep. death the the worst death army the only Nagash <laughs> led death army that yeah. was there uh, the hooves uh, Nagash, Mr. Misses. three more tarks oh it was yeah. yeah I thought that to be honest with you before before the event when that list came in I thought holy crap um, and so so I thought that was going to kind of run rough over everybody um, and I mean they did well they did well yeah. overall but. Uh, yeah. But anyway, so in the story, what what was what was happening was um, uh, Kenny had a unit of his fire slayers. I'm not 100 percent sure which what unit it was. I'm looking to see if he if he mentioned. I know he might have mentioned it. Um, Save money's on his bulkites, but it, I could. Yeah, be. I think I think that's who they were. The ton- were they the tunnelers? No. Yep. He he they, he tunneled them against us. So. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so he's coming up the left edge of the board, right, and. He's coming up, and this Morngul gets up in their face, and um, the Morngul's there, and it and the Morngul charges his unit, and he had this opportunity. It was his turn, so he gets his pile in, right? And he looks down at the board. Well, first of all, he comes running over to me, and he says, "Hey, Steve, I'm not sure if I could do this. Can you can you come? It's based on the rules of the Shifting Sands. I'm not sure if I could do this." And I said, "Well, what what did?" Let me see. And so he says to me, he goes, well, the, the rules say that as soon as I come in contact, I said, yep, then as soon as you come in contact. And what he saw on the board was that if he did the pile in the right way, he'd be able to touch the shifting sands, which would then teleport the unit to any board edge that he wants and huh. uh, on a four up. OK, so he was able to, you know, this unit's about to get devoured by this Morgul. Right. And he was able to teleport his 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 dudes out of out of harm's way. And that to me was just so awesome because we see that when we see the terrain actually causing death and destruction or saving something, as in this case, yeah. it just was awesome. It was great. So, the, so these uh, these fire slayers trusted in the sands. Yes, they trusted and, in the sands and dove you know, in and yep, uh, it, dove it, in they, it rescued them. <laughs> yeah. The hand. In fact. 
when he when he actually touched it, he came in contact with the hand, which is which is <laughs> grasping up and out. So it was very cinematic. You know, here's this sand. This hand comes up and out of the sand and kind of engulfs these fires, uh, these dudes and these fire slayers and just shifts them all the way over to the other side of the board. That's awesome. Stick stuff. And then, uh, do you guys want to go back and forth, or do you want to you want me to continue with the other? What? I mean, one of the, I guess one of the ones I remember um, hearing from uh, the Warhammer Weekly guys was that they had, I think, their first match uh, dueling Archeons. They did. And, and how uh, Vince then declared. So I think, you know, it's it's fair play if you're the first to declare that the other Archeon was an imposter. Yeah. And he must do away with him. <laughs> uh, and so. Knowing Vince, I don't think, I think that if anybody did, uh, declare first he would have challenged them on that just based on <laughs> yeah. the size of his archeon well his, and his archeon was taller than the sh- than the floating waterfall yeah, yeah. The, the only guy who like looked at the archeon model and said not tall enough make it bigger yeah i yeah. mean it's like are you kidding me dude i mean and he was making me nervous all weekend with that damn oh, thing. He would have that thing sitting hanging on the off edges the edge of tables table. oh my god you oh, know i'm like dude just turn it around already you're <laughs> killing me here um <laughs> Yes, so his Archeon did did um, declare that he was the one true Archeon, and the way he performed upon the tabletop, he achieved that title. Yes. He he encountered that first Archeon and and took care of business and uh, and sent that Archeon screaming for cover. Yep. Uh, so yeah. a really cool story of of yeah, just these big monsters. There were three Archeons at the event. Um, and it was just cool seeing how different they were and, and, uh, what their role was on the table. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that was a really cool kind of standout uh, that I remember hearing. Yes. And then something else that happened with Vince's team and it was in, yeah. uh, it was in the game five scenario. Okay. Uh, game five was the prison break. Um, you had to, you had yes. to choose to put a, a single war scroll of any size in prison. And Tom and Vince decided to imprison Archeon. I thought that was pretty <laughs> baller. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was a that was a great move. That was that was phenomenal. And they they imprisoned. I have to give them credit because they imprisoned yeah. him. And they did rescue him. So did wow. they really wow. Yes. Right. So they were able to rescue him. Um and uh, it was it was a it was a stellar piece of gameplay, and they they, uh, they did a good did a good job. When, when you choose to imprison a model, that model is out of the game until they can be rescued, right? So they're kind of I don't I mean a little bit unless I, they must have known exactly how they were going to do it. Um, and I think uh, the storm fiends and maybe uh, Thankwell may have helped. <laughs> sure, <laughs> and sure. their and their uh, deceiver. Uh, uh yeah their deceiver um certain lord yeah <laughs> yeah sure. sure he helped <laughs> so maybe but, not totally putting their arm behind their back for that one <laughs> vince and tom come on man <laughs> tom's there to win man he ain't gonna do anything that's gonna cost him the game Let's, <laughs> totally, totally. You know, i say that with all love okay i mean that dude, that dude was, he was studying hard he came in with actual diagrammed battle plans for each scenario yeah just like uh, us no (laughs) i don't think i've ever seen anybody at any of our events do something like that but this was actually the first event where we gave our players uh prior knowledge to the scenarios which i think was helpful we'll get into that a little later in the show because uh, i have some thoughts on that as well yeah for sure yeah um 
let's see the other one. Uh, I mean, I think one of the MVPs, uh, there was a ton of chaos armies and, uh, sale the faithless was everywhere. He uh, was. Yeah. And, and he was just chucking models. <laughs> forward. Yeah. Um, right. Uh, we had an instance with Scarbrand. I know that, uh, um, trying to think, did he throw the frog? He threw, um, Termicon, uh, forward. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, and I don't know right. if you've got any other, um, big I pieces. I do. Um, Joe Cryer in Marv Sims game against Tom and Vince, there was an epic moment that took place. Um, uh, you know, um, basically, um, uh, he, he figured what they, what Marv and, and Joe were thinking was that shale the faithless you know could survive the their first turn of salt and and just kind of basically walk off the board edge and uh get that um get that uh that objective point yeah. and he failed miserably uh oh. so he didn't it didn't happen and then in a desperate attempt to reclaim that ability archeon called out to zinch for zinch's aid and summoned a unit of pink horrors as far as he could reach and off uh, and then got off the the, the heal spell and then okay. they summoned a copycat unit of pink horrors right onto the objective and then uh, disappeared back into the warp uh, with the warp stone. So that was the scenario where you had to deliver the warp stone to your realm. And uh. Vince, Vince and Tom didn't even see it coming. Like Vince was just <laughs> like, oh, so well played. And Joe pulled that one. He pulled that one out at the last minute. And then uh, that, that, that got him a draw, got Marv and him a draw against Vincent Tim at uh, Vincent and uh, Tom. And at that point in the, in the tournament, they were tied neck and neck. Oh, so man. It, it was an epic play by Joe Cryer and uh, Marv Sims to do that with their pink horrors to deliver the warp stone. Uh, yeah. Really great, 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 uh, great tactic and totally caught the masters. It totally caught the one true Archeon off guard. <laughs> the one true Archeon did not see that coming. So His, Vince, uh, I think you need to talk about that on your next show, how you did not see that coming and uh, try to explain how the one true Archeon failed to recognize <laughs> such a, <laughs> such, such tactical genius upon the battlefield. Got to yeah. be a story there. <laughs> nothing, nothing so uh, meager as a pink horror. Right. So. And then, um, Another great story. Probably this was the first one I got. Okay, so uh, Patrick uh, Brindlinson and Walter Duncan were playing an illegal army. Okay, Oof. they were playing a combination of Stormcast and Ogres. And um, I don't like it, been, but I'll allow it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, you know, their partners no, had. I, right I liked it and allowed it. Yeah. Yeah, and and so one of the things that the council talked about was like, you know you know, we didn't want them to drop out of the tournament. So we said, yeah, all right, guys, you know, we'll let you go, but you know, you guys won't be able to, you know, we can't, we can't give you guys any awards. Right. Yeah. Cause you're, well, it wasn't, it wasn't something they did to like bust things wide open, you know? No, right. no, not at all. However, however, they would have won. So anyway, um, yeah. So, uh, but what <laughs> the great, the great story here was that, um, they had brought a couple of chaos giants, I believe. And, um, mm. or not chaos giants. Yeah. A giant? No. Destruction. Destruction. Gargants. Yeah, a gargant. Yeah. And so they call to war this gargant, and he's sitting on the. And they were playing on the Nurgle. They're playing on the Nurgle table. Okay, so on the Nurgle table, you've got these the that necrotic streams that are running across the table, and yeah. uh, 
and you 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 got to do a deadly you know you got to do a deadly terrain test when you're going across that right and uh, yep. this this all he had to do was take a big giant step he didn't have to run he could have just took a giant step but this mm. this giant wanted to get in the fight so bad and uh, he tripped on his big toe and fell <laughs> and fell and died in a three inch deep stream of necrotic ooze. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't Just think he did anything the entire tournament except faceplant into necrotic ooze. <laughs> so I, I absolutely love that. That was the first story I heard, and yeah. and then um, aside from, um, I have one more, um, yeah. and this was from uh, Andrew Niekamp, the global icon, the skull bro, as yeah, we, national yeah. treasure. So, National Treasure, yep. yeah, and li- famous Lizard Man player, uh, teamed up with Chris Broska. Um, so they had a they had a Seraphon and Stormcast uh, army, and they were upon befittingly they were upon the so uh, the Seraphon table, and yeah. uh, the Shrine of Sotek. So Lord Croak was in. Um, in uh, uh, Andrew uh, Roder's list, okay, and Lord Croak, um, let's see, how did he phrase it? Lord Cloak was, uh, according to Andrew, I'll read you what he sent me, okay. So, um, Lord Croak was amazing in Game Three. He finally proved his worth, getting atop the vortex and unleashing a, the true power of Croaknado yeah. on some unsuspecting opponents, and quite frankly. Rotor was was uh, as unexpected as everybody else at how well he did. Uh, he had never used Lord Croak until this tournament, and he had never used a Vortex, and he had never had a minute of practice. He was reading his War Scroll the for the first time on the drive down to Holy Havoc, and uh, so. Um, Anyway, so here's what happened. So their opponents took first turn and moved up. They moved across through this lustrous jungle. And in the first turn, Croak jumps upon his vortex and pumps out some hate juice. And then, <laughs> uh, <laughs> then Rotor and Braska realize that his and Tedo Echoes, not Tedo Echo anymore, Star Priest, Star Mage, whatever. Uh, anyway. They really they realize they have the reroll. He has his reroll. So Croak can do some more damage up there upon the upon the vortex. And he was constantly putting out five or six wounds to the greater demons that they were facing off against. Okay. And any of their lone characters. So he was just the star of the show. And then they got uh, a double turn. And so then Croak uh, went ahead and polished off the Lord of Change, weakened the Bloodthirster to near death, killed characters, punched a hole in their Blood Crushers and their Blood Warriors. And in the second turn, it was then that they used their Havoc Warlord to shoot Croak off of the Vortex and <laughs> their Nightmare. So the Warlord comes through and takes down Croak. And then Rotor and Chris won priority for turn three. And this is when the true magic happens. Skinks had already been standing next to the idol of Sotek and offered themselves up to their god. And Sotek answered in turn because Sotek remembers. He remembers the glory of the fated Seraphon. He remembers how Lord Croak stood in defiance as the old world burned around him. Sotek remembers who made this ultimate sacrifice more than once. 
And when it comes to Seraphon, memories are what matters most. And that day, Sotek did bring forth Lord Croak, who climbed atop his palaquin, and with the freshly summoned vortex, formed like Voltron, (laughs) (laughs) powering the the Croak NATO to once again bring vengeance and fire down upon those unbelievers. Those who would seek to despoil the lands of New Lustria now... And so chaos and fear in the hearts of men and lizards and Sotek Eternals. It was Sotek who once again clashes with chaos. And on that day, he, Lord of all, that is, cold-blooded and infused with star power, used Corknado as his most... He just keeps going on. (laughs) This most mighty avatar. Dice didn't matter. We didn't matter. Only Sotek matters. Only the memories of the greatest race of any and all ages matter. All praise the mighty, most revered, and most powerful of all lords of the realm. Kneel, pray, sacrifice yourselves to Sotek and gain his blessings in return. Or as Rhoda likes to say, something like that. Okay, so here, that was a long-winded explanation to say this. So what happened was uh, Sotek had the ability – our Sotek rules are – here's how it works, okay? So you get to roll a D6, and on roll of one, your army suffers D6 mortal wounds. On a two to five, your army suffers D3 mortal wounds. On a roll of a six, your army gains D6 wounds. Wounds gained can be distributed across your army and can even bring models back. Such is the power of Sotek. Okay, so Rotor comes running up to me and he's like, hey, 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 uh, the Shrine of Sotek thing, you know? He's like, you know, what do I do about Croak? And I'm like, well, what do you mean, what do you do about Croak? He's like, well, he doesn't have any wounds. I looked at him and I said, well, what's on the War Scroll? He goes, it's a star. I said, hey, that's a wound of me. He's like, wait, so I can bring it back? I'm like, absolutely. Power of Sotek, baby. And Sotek, and so the Croak <laughs> came back. And that was pretty baller move because what happened was Rotor had to roll a six. So before he rolled the six, he's like, he, he just looks across the table at these guys who struggled the whole game to kill him, killed, killed Croak with their warlord of havoc. Yeah. Rotor's, Rotor's got the dice and he says, okay, I need a six. He flips it up in the air. Boom. Six. Yeah. And we all hear, we you can all hear this across the entire gaming hall. It was, yeah, it was the whole awesome. hall went absolutely <laughs> bonkers. It was great. It was just, it was, I lost my voice. I had, I had no voice the rest of the week. That happened That's on funny. Saturday. So it was, it was just. It was awesome. It was an awesome, awesome, awesome moment until something else happened. Hmm. And that I think happened upon, was that Sunday? Was that maybe game four? Um, I think that was you, wasn't it, Eric? That might be. So it would have been game three also. Oh, so it was day one. Okay. Well, we've got a couple of, yeah, a couple of really good ones. Um, so we could, we could probably start going through if you've got, if you don't, if those are all the ones that we have from. That's all I got. That's all I got. Then, then we'll take everybody through the journey that was uh, the endless destruction um, in, in our stories from the, the event. So we played five games. Uh, Davey and I were partners, obviously. Um, and I, we talked a little bit about our armies uh, in the past, but we can maybe go through what we brought. And uh, the I, I posted a ton of my army progress on the TGA forums I did in the, the paint and hobby. Yeah, I don't even know if there's a single picture of nope. your... All, stuff. all my progress was like in the last four weeks, so yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> no time. But for picks. Uh, 
so I brought um, Beast Hall Raiders writing Tyranids, so Ogres writing Tyranids, and uh, was just pleased as punch how they ended up looking on the table. Um, you know, you're doing these conversions and, and bringing in wacky stuff, and you're like, are they going to fit? Is it going to feel like AOS and all that kind of stuff? Um, and they did really they They did, and, and they got a lot of attention from people, which was fantastic. Um, uh, you know, just in people, go, you know, again, like you said, Steve, the inspiring other people, getting them into the, the mood of the event, et cetera. Um, so I had, um, yeah, Tarkos, the, the Nid Lord, uh, was my Huskard on Stonehorn. And then he had some Mornfang and some Iron Guts and a Butcher and a Hunter and some, some uh, Frost Sabers that were modeled from Hormigant. So kind of the, the real uh, Tyranid uh, Horde kind of feel. Um, and then a, a Thunder Tusk, you know, shooting some mortal wounds across the table. So that was, um, and what was fun is we were thinking, well, on one hand, I was like, okay, I'm bringing a Thunder Tusk and a Stonehorn, and I should probably temper this a little bit. So five of my scrolls uh, were used up, uh, five of my 12. So almost half of my scrolls were uh, a Hunter, uh, six Frost Sabers, and a Formation Scroll. Uh, so three units of two. So I, I kind of balanced out the that a little bit <laughs> with with some some uh you know not uh, point efficient uh you know scroll efficient uh, stuff but a really themey for me um what really wanted to get those on the table um and then davy what did you bring what was your uh what was your army made of i went with bone splitters and it, the idea was that uh you know they love hunting monsters and here were these monsters that no one's ever seen before like the tyranids have come to earth or come to the mortal realms and so they can hunt them and uh, so I had uh, 10 spear dudes, 30 bow dudes, uh, a cunning ruck, which I thought was going to be overpowered, but it just kind of helped us keep pace. And uh, the supporting characters and uh, the uh, the big stabbers, which, man, I wish I had more of those because those were super fun. They looked really cool. Every time they like went blitzing in to, to stab something big, they looked like the heat. And they when they did something awesome, it was, it was real cheer worthy moment so yeah so and then we had our warlord uh somaruk uh the eye of mork uh, mm -hmm. and he had uh somehow you know between all the fighting between these two armies he'd risen up and beaten up enough of the the oryx and beaten up enough of the ogres uh to get them fighting together because they stumbled into this uh this havoc uh you know realm of havoc basically and and they had a lot of a lot of fighting to do and uh, he needed to pull them together um so it was a lot of fun uh you know first of all just davy having our our stuff together and having it themed we themed them most both in the endless desert so um you know they both had uh, these desert bases using some of the shattered dominion stuff and and sand and black rims and all professional like feeling um we had a pretty cool display board that had uh um, two bit kind of a building that had cracked in half and it was four stories that just had to be as I, I was going to do three, but I was like, you can't do three if you're not going to do four, you got to go four. <laughs> and I almost went five, but I, I stopped it there. And, um, so we, uh, the way it was set up was, so just kind of telling that story more is, is the, um, there's a kind of a, uh, shyish endless desert realm gate with a big scarab and skull on the top and the, the ogre nids are, piling out of that um, kind of uh, caravanning in between these two kind of broken up pieces of the building and on every level there are savage orcs kind of pouring towards the middle ready to jump down on top of the uh, the ogre nids um, 
and uh, and just looked uh, looked pretty epic, and it was a lot of fun to put together. And uh, um, yeah, so that was kind of our story going into it that they'd been just fighting each other until it was like, oh, we could go fight this stuff too. Um, uh, so game one, uh, we were on uh, the the Phoenix Temple uh, table, and we were fighting against um, a couple new guys or guys that we hadn't met before, um, and uh, they were they were playing uh, Tumorcon army, so uh, and a little bit of uh, Corn, right? Blood letters and stuff. Yeah. Um, there's quite a bit of like Nurgle and Corn as a good duo um, here, so that was a lot of fun. Um, and it was really cool to see uh, Tumorcon. That that Toad Dragon is beautiful. Um, and we kind of went on and on about just the tail by itself, how that sculpted. Um, so story wise, um, on my side, um, the thing I wanted to do the most, I got to do in the first game was, uh, use the destruction movement to move a little bit further. And Tarkos, the right on his, his stone horn, uh, was able to, to first turn charge up, um, and, uh, and kill minus one, uh, plague drone, yeah. uh, Killed the plague drone, but then in the battleship phase, they were able to they bring one back. Uh, two. Yeah. This this is our heavy hitter. We're like, yeah, he's getting in there. <laughs> like, oh, he did he did negative damage. All right, uh, we got problems. Yep. So he just tore into the enemy enemy line, um, and uh, but he scared them right. Uh, and so yeah. uh, Tarmacon and uh, the, the drones and all kind of piled in further to try and take him on. And he just swatted away um, hit after hit, um, tongue lash after tail lash, whatever. He was just, uh, was taking him on. And eventually uh, his, his Mornfang duo um, were able to finally catch up with him and help him finish off uh, Timrakhan. Um, and so he kind of slayed his, his first big model uh, that he came across. Um, the, the dread Moloch was one more, it was, a the dread Maul from the forge world was, um, one of our, uh, units as well and popped up in their backfield and slammed up against some nurglings and just like pillow fighted with them. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he was just gnashing and clawing, but he couldn't get through anything cause they just regenerate and regenerate and he would just, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, I did go, uh, what was, uh, I guess big one, was, um, the warlord, uh, Somarok, um, uh, they had a bloodthirster and blood letters coming, just barreling down on him. And, uh, and what, it, what did the, what did doing, Davey? Uh, well, he was leading the, uh, the arrow boys over on the right flank and they, they collectively managed to shoot down a demon prince, uh, smoke that down. And then, um, we're holding off. It was, it was a pretty epic, uh, battle on the right side where I had my, uh, horde of uh, savage orcs fighting against a horde of um, of uh, bloodletters and uh, it was looking all evened up you know 22 versus 22 it's like oh man this is coming down to a tie oh but I got a character oh but you got a monster oh but I got another guy over here oh you got and it was 100% tied up 24-24 and then we looked around the other side of this the huge uh, piece of terrain the uh, anvil of vault maybe and um there were two two uh, plague toads on the other side, and they they swung it decisively in the in the favor of the other guys. We we went down one to two, but this was yeah. it was such a great game because like it was back and forth. Like you couldn't tell who was going to win. We we could have won three zero, and we ended up losing one two. Like it was it was down to just a few dice rolls. Really really great great way to start out the tournament. 
Yeah, we were finger biting, and then the, yeah, I imagine you like you go out and you like tree frogs hanging on the on the side of a building. Like those two plague toads were just sitting there, like blending into the rocks, yeah, so we couldn't yeah. see them. Uh, just being just being dirty toads. Um, <laughs> but that one was yeah, it was really cool. Um, those guys were really fun to to play against, and and it created some really cool stories on the table. Um, game two um, was uh, on the Zinch table, and that was against uh, Marvin Joe Cryer. Um, and uh, we, we gave them first turn. We're like, you know, I think most games we ended up taking first turn. Mm-hmm. Some of it because of just kind of the position we were in, et cetera. Because, you know, ogres want to run. Um, but this one we gave them first turn. We're like, yeah, we'll, we'll let them come a little bit closer to us. Uh, and then uh, sail through Scarbrand right in uh, uh, Tarkus's face. Yeah. Uh, and Tarkus just came in and smoked him in a turn. Uh, and our biggest, one of our biggest hitters was off the table turn one. Yeah. Um, and there was just this hole in our army and we were just little heart fell into our stomachs a little bit. Yeah. Um, but out came the third in our turn, um, shot, uh, Scarbrand and weakened him a bit. And then, uh, in came your, uh, the, um, the big stab is just so awesome. They, they, so we call to war of them. They come flying in from off the table. Like, their prey of choice is right there, a monster to beat all monsters, and they just come flying with the big stabs and stab them right in the gut and take them down. It was, it was super cool, yeah. Yeah, did exactly what they're supposed to, and that little, that little pocket of battle was just exactly what it needed to be, um, which was cool. Uh, over on the left-hand side, um, uh, called the war, or no, I think we had them in, and we had Iron Guts, and we had the Mornfang tr- and the, the Butcher trying to go up the left flank right around the Eye of Zinch, and put some numbers and we're like yeah they, they won't pay attention to us over here um but uh archeon uh decided to fly over and involve himself in uh, that side of the battle um and for the luck of uh, just the number of combats they got into that second round i think um the iron guts were able to and i think he charged the iron guts um but they ended up getting to to swing before archeon um, and they just slammed him so hard. Um, six iron guts with their uh, bone sword, uh, uh, great weapons, uh, just cleaved him down. I swear, he, you know, if he, if if the model could move, uh, Dorgar would have been on all fours, panting a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and then in the next turn, um, again, iron guts were able to swing first and just lop off all three of his head heads. Uh, all four, including Archeons. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they were just, uh, Iron Guts are no joke. They they don't do much but punish things for, for being in their way. Um, and so uh, being able to take down Archeon in that, in that battle was a, definitely a moral victory and, and, a, and, a, and a nice nice spot for, a nice win for the, the Ogres. And then uh, this is probably the first battle that, uh, that uh, so kind of held up that right hand side with the arrow boys yeah um just killing some stuff right yeah absolutely and so he um uh in the in the first round after the first battle he was able to earn uh he because the the i did mention this after the first game because the the oryx didn't uh secure that anvil uh he ended up chopping up a couple of them and and they became a part of his base so his uh his uh base leveled up but i, I think Actually, don't think we've talked about that at all on the podcast. So, but it's again on, on uh, some of the Twitter I, I mentioned it and, and tweeted over the course of the uh, the event. 
Um, but uh, Somarakar uh, was based on a, a, the war chanter, uh, the Iron Jaws war chanter, but armor on. And so he looks much more like a savage orc, right? Um, and he has three tiers of bases that I added as he progressed through the event. He had, uh, because the, the, the warlord had upgrades, uh, which was a, a fantastic mechanic that was really fun to get into and think about. Um, but he would either upgrade uh, the path of the slayer, which gave him better uh, melee stats, or the path of the hunter, which gave him better um, ranged uh, stats. Um, I had modeled uh, swords to go with each of the um, melee uh, upgrades and uh, bows to go with each of the ranged upgrades. And then in addition to that, um, when, he did, when he had a round where he did something good, he would get additional war paint as a sign that Mork favored him even more. And it, and it was after this game of him shooting things and surviving. Uh, I think he survived this one, didn't he? Yeah. I don't remember. Um, but that he got his first uh, kind of upgrade of war paint after this one. Um, um, and uh, the, the Arrow Boys, did, did the Arrow Boys survive? I think we, this one we got pretty. I think we might have only had a butcher left after this, didn't we? Oh yeah, actually, now you talk about it. We, we got pretty yeah. wrecked. We got pretty hammered. Yeah, but we managed to get. Uh, I think four four rounds. We squeezed in a couple of rounds. Yeah. Um, to, to kind of uh, finish it off. But when you don't have as many models on the table, those yeah. rounds go pretty quick. Those last few rounds went <laughs> super fast. <laughs> um, game three. Then, uh, so this is. This is one that, that Steve alluded to a little bit. Um, <laughs> we got put on the realm of uh, well of Gur, uh, the 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 Auric and Grot table, and in the middle, as he said, was the Arachnorock nest. Now we rocked to the table, um, and we're rolling for our traits. And um, uh, uh, Tarkus rolled the very uh, the one for the command trait, which uh, is allows uh, him and a unit uh, or uh, five other models. Um, to, to go up to a piece of terrain and just pummel it into nothingness, thereby removing all cover that that terrain might provide and any <laughs> uh, any um, um, abilities or effects that that terrain provides. So if it were a, a you know mystical terrain, right, that does the stubborn or befuddled, they'd go over and they just smash it to where it would have no effect whatsoever. All magical properties just die. And interestingly enough, and we'll talk about this in a, in a few episodes, but locally here we're playing a, a map campaign with just destruction players where they're fighting over places just to beat them into the ground and whoever does the most <laughs> destruction. So it was, it, was, it was on our mind for sure. And so I, I go over to, to Steve, and similar to what, you know, what uh, Rotor did, only not quite being as successful, but initially, <laughs> I went over and I said, I said, uh, Steve, and can, this, I got, I rolled this. It's a, just lets me destroy terrain. Can I, can I destroy your terrain? And, uh, and your initial response was, is that what it says? Yeah. Um, so I was, I got all excited. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm on the destruction terrain. There's another right. monster in the middle here. Um, I was like, I could go and destroy it. Like that thing is just out there looking at you it wants to eat your face i'm just like it would be epic to go over and destroy them and so i went over to another table i'm like guys i'm gonna destroy the arachnorock and i probably went over to another table. <laughs> and there was guys, much rejoicing the <laughs> just getting excited and just this thing and, and 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 steve how did that make you feel when you heard that uh, uh that Tarkus well, was gonna 
I didn't. Well, what happened was when you came over and you told me, I -hmm. took a few, I turned my back and I started to walk away. And then I was like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. And then like, it dawned on me (laughs) that you were going to turn off the nest of the Arachnorock. And so I just went completely apeshit crazy. I mean, it was like somebody started to defend Ewoks in Star Wars. Oh I just lost my mind. And like the whole hall, the it, it was like everybody stuff. just kind of like stopped rolling their dice. It was like when E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens. I mean, it was it was like I just went on a rant. I'm like, you're not turning off my damn Arachnorock. Are you kidding me? All the time I spent painting that thing and designing those rules, hell no. I said, you could turn off something else, but you ain't turning off the Arachnorock. Yeah, you said you can turn off that. You can turn off the idol. You can turn off what? Yeah, I was like, I was like, Tio's prerogative. No way. And uh, and and you know, in all fairness, I mean, it would have really changed the essence of the absolutely how that table would play. So, um, and it's funny, and I'm really happy that that happened actually. And I'm and I have to give total props to you, Eric, for coming over and asking because. You know, some players, they, they wouldn't do that. They would just say, okay, yeah, we're going to do this. And then, then they would, you know, they would just do it. And I think it, it really goes, you, you do, you guys both deserve real kudos on, uh, coming forward and trying to maintain the integrity of the event because, you know, Holy Wars, uh, two, which happened back in February, one of the things that we noticed was players like not adhering to our terrain rules. And so that's why I made that announcement at the beginning of the event that if we had recognized anybody doing that, we were going to dock you sports points. And uh, that's where that all came from. So, um, you know, I got, like I said, I got to give you big props, man, because not many people would have done that. And that's kudos kudos to you on, uh, on wanting to play the rules as written uh, for our, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's a pretty big deal, man. Yeah. Talking to Davey afterwards too, is like, you know, yeah, it would have been, if I just kind of said, took you at your word and said, okay, let's go ahead and, you know, not, you know, went ahead with those plans. On one hand, I would have been like, you know, I made history. I was the only, you know, yeah. maybe the only one to kill the, <laughs> the spider. At the same time, it would have just been a big void in the middle of the table. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the, the reason you come to Holy Havoc and Holy Wars is to play the terrain, not turn it off, right? Uh, and so I actually didn't use that commandability on any terrain because, uh, you know, I didn't want to turn it off. I didn't want to change that experience for the opponents, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so for us, it was just not. Well, yeah. we're going to play it as is. Who would, um, who would have chewed up all my characters if I if we had turned that off? So yeah. <laughs> who would have? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so it was it was a fun rant. It was it was hilarious to see you uh, uh, change your mind going back and forth on that. Uh, yeah. No, there was no hard feelings whatsoever. Um, if anybody thought that was the case, but it was just, it was fun to have that as a story uh, in and of yeah. itself. Oh yeah, uh, totally. It made my weekend to be honest with you. that and croak with like two minutes <laughs> where I was just like, Oh wow. You know? And, and then not many people get to see me rant like that. You know, it's usually just family. And then like, uh, uh, people I work with like Vargas has seen it. He, <laughs> he's the notorious man for mentioning the damn, the friggin' Ewoks. And that just gets me going and just boils, boils my blood. And, and, uh, so yeah, so it was, it was pretty cool. In fact, I even think Vargas even mentioned the Ewoks just to see if he could get me going some more after that. <laughs> That's like an Ewok rant. So, yes, yes, he he will do that. He likes to poke the bear. Um, yeah. And uh, but yeah, it was it was stellar. And and once again, man, kudos to you guys for uh, for adhering to the the essence of what the tournament's about. Yeah. Well, game three had a few other stories. The 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 big no, one of the big another big non story was uh, the dread maw popped up 
and went to fight uh, the Bastilladon over in. So there was an, an area, a focus area, where the monsters, you had to elect a monster to go in and fight. And so it was a big kaiju fight, um, you know, uh, around the 16-inch bubble. And they had to just do as much uh, as many da- as much damage as they could in that space, and um, and so the I was like, yeah, the Dreadmaw. If anybody can take on the Basilodon, it's a Dreadmaw. Um, and I think the only reason I did any wounds on it was because he forgot his uh, a, a two up ward or something like that. Mm. Uh, he, um, he just forgot. It was it was we we're like just past that phase. I was like, man, that thing is really tough to kill because it ignores Rend. And both you and him were like, it ignores Rend? Question mark? Question mark? I was like, oh no! It's one of those. It's one of those moments where Davey knows too many rules, and, and uh, <laughs> forget. I've been paying attention to other pieces of the game at the time, and they're like, "All right, let's back that up and uh, find out." Oh yeah, you, you guys are not going to come close to killing this thing. Like, oh, yeah. Crap. So I think I ended up saying, "Hey, why don't you just take a couple of the wounds back?" And then after that, it was just another pillow fight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Davey, were there any more stories from that table? No, nothing. Absolutely nothing remarkable whatsoever. Just one other story from that table? There might have been. Yeah, so uh, (laughs) Eric and I... We, you know, we didn't we didn't talk a great length about uh, strategy, but we did do a little bit of you know uh, figuring things out, and we we both agreed like, all right, you know, in this game, we need to get, make sure all those savage orcs swing right and get to the terrain objective, and don't give up easy wounds over on the left. And yeah. uh, we we both agreed to it, and then I promptly ignored it uh, with, <laughs> with all my heart uh, as soon as we were into the game, and I, I lost us the game essentially by by doing that. Like. I swung over, gave up a whole bunch of wounds for one objective, and was not close enough to claim the other objective. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The nice thing about a really nice thing about um, you know that that green meat shield um, is it like there was there's twenty of them, but I think there was very few games. There's like two games where they whittled down below ten. Yeah. Um, you know, and so um, you know they would you know if you stick them someplace, they're going to survive. And so yeah, they 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 would have gone over and probably been just fine against fire slayers um over on that right side but yeah it was it was hilarious because usually davy's correcting me uh and and making sure that i'm a little sharper uh of a tool in the toolbox he says you know you know know, maybe you could do this over there we have this um back in whenever we're playing on the table we call it condescending wargamer where you you uh (laughs) give each other backhanded compliments uh you know that sort of thing and so i I, I picked that kind of maneuver when i was just starting out too that's great yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and so it was fun to be able to to dig him on that a little bit not a little bit of i've got my own ewok sto- uh you know thing to 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 jab <laughs> davy with now. yeah so do you uh, did, did you guys find did you find yourself davy br- you bringing that up did taking like the whole concept of like taking your eye off the ball did did you find that was just something that just kind of it just happened because of your over eagerness or was it that there was so much going on in the scenario? I mean, was that attribute, would you attribute that to scenario design or was it just, well, just being overzealous or it's interesting. Like coming in, I thought, man, there's way too much stuff. There's no way we're going to keep track of everything that's going on, but it was not, it was not as difficult. Like it was cool because there's so many things to try for, uh, but it did not feel like in the game, it was not overwhelming. And I I thought it was going to be, and that that was was which one, which scenario was this again? Uh, scenario three, and three. Uh, it was you had monsters like which monster yeah, caused the most fight. damage. Right. Uh, try to claim right. an objective, and then try to yeah. your uh, try to damage a unit <clears throat> that was carrying crystals. 
and I, I just like I got carried away. I'm like, oh man, like that that uh, that monster over there is gonna be hard to kill. I, and we got a little bit ahead, and I was like, well, we got room to we got room to spare and instead of like really pushing it. I, uh, yeah. I I took my you know that was that was 100 percent on me. Um, yeah, but was, I uh, with a ahead, step dude, back. You, well, no, with a step back, like it would have been clear. You know, if I if I had taken literally right. another you know 90 seconds, I would have been like, no, no, like. What I'm about to do is a terrible idea. Let's go over here and lock down this win, and right. uh, we we took a very winnable game and just, uh, uh, well, we I say really me I just we walked over away. It, so yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, well I, it was. I'm sorry. No, no, I was just going to respond to it too. Is that what was cool is that there was, we were able to get a lot of models on the table and kind of split our the workload right. Um, right. And so, yeah. you know, one army and or one group of models would go over and do this. And so you had kind of different, different groups doing different missions and which was a really cool way to think about, you know, the army and say, okay, we're going to put this fo- part of our force up against that um, objective and try and make that happen. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the opponent would do the same thing. And so, you know, you're, you're, you would have done anybody, you would have normally just kind of matched, oh, I'm going to go and kill that thing with this thing and this thing with that thing. Right. But it was really like, right. okay, what? what force did they go after this objective with and what force did you choose? And so it became kind of sub armies and sub combats combats and stuff. So I really, really enjoyed having so much to do and, and there was a lot to do in just a couple of turns. Right. You know, so I really enjoyed the number of objectives that there were. And and we went into each one saying, okay, which ones are we just not going to try for? Like you throw away some and then you choose which ones. And in some of ours, we get the ones that we didn't even plan on. (laughs) Right. Right. uh, Right. You know, uh, but uh, so it was. It made for a lot of decision making, um, and it can be as complex or as simple as you want it to be. Yeah, that was some of the some of the internal feedback, and um, I don't know if we're going to talk about this later in the show. But uh, and stop me if we are, because then we can we can save it for later. But uh, some of what I got, some of the feedback I got after I designed the scenarios was that there was too much going on, and they and some of my some of the council felt like. I was going to overwhelm the players um, with what was going on, and um, so I think we're going to talk later about things we sure. things I learned. Um, so yeah. maybe we'll just make a note of that. And we'll come back to it because um, sure. you know that there's some there's some things I'd like to you know when you get when we get to that. I think it's in the I'm not sure which phase of that's in, but yeah, we'll um, definitely we'll get over there to the uh, yeah campaign phase. phase campaign, campaign yep yeah okay. Um, but- all right, so game four then, um, we were playing on uh, the, the cane table, and uh, we had Fog of War, and uh, this was one where we were deployed 18 inches from the table, it's only 12 inches from each other, is that correct? Is my math okay there? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so we were like, obviously we're going to take first turn, because the Ogres is going to just smash right in the faces. Yep. And um, I, I devised an absolutely genius plan for how to like lock this scenario down. Oh. Yeah. So first thing that happened, we took first turn, and uh, and so we did the move, but we rolled for the fog, and I did the roll, and I, I rolled the, the two. So we had a fog war, which halved our movement characteristic, mm. which are like, well, you know, I still have the, the destruction move, which is D6, and yeah. then I've got... 12 inches on the 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 husk card so it's down to six so I'm, yeah if, you know, if only we had some way to re-roll that dice oh well i can't think of anything that could possibly work for that yeah. <laughs> all right right we could have turned it re-rolled the fog and we didn't um and so i got up within six inches so my mornfang and my husk guard are up within six inches and they do this cool thing that as soon as the husk guard's done attacking in combat 
you can pick a morphing unit within 10 inches and they get to immediately pile in. So it's like they're attacking as one unit, even mm-hmm. if they're against two different units. So I was just like, yeah, I was going to just go in and like delete something. Uh, like for the first time in the whole tournament, <laughs> I was going to get that mm-hmm. off. Um, and uh, then I had, uh, we had the um, iron guts up front that were moving forward and I was going to uh, plow into something like knights and just hold them back so that the, the warlord could get up in the tower. Because what was the plan? Davy with the warlord. Yeah, no, I figured out uh, this awesome temple of Cain had uh, amazing like uh, realm, like way to see the entire board, and you could just because one of the objectives was to kill heroes with your you picked out a particular hero you wanted to kill, mm-hmm. and uh, I said, well, when we get up here and there's no way you can get away, we'll just be able to mow them down. We did not get in there. Uh, our, our amazing plan that we we put together, they uh, well, instead. You, what? Yeah, so you said you were gonna. First, we're going to kill the monster. So yep, we're going to yep, kill the yep. blood letter. Um, then we're going to get the guy in the. Then we're going to kill their warlord, and then we're going to get uh, you know our warlord into the temple and kill off a whole bunch of heroes. And uh, so, first thing that happened was I failed four charges. Ouch! Uh, I failed two six-inch charges and two oh. charges. Uh, well, the uh, nine, you you're like, okay, well, it's a nine-inch yeah, charge. Right. Yeah, totally. But I the mean, six, you, I mean, come on, right? Because that that just meant we were just gonna we were just open to charge. So my iron right. guts failed. Yeah. The tusk, uh, the huskard failed. The mornfang failed. The the um, dread maw failed um, in the backfield. The, these are all been anything but snake eyes. If we had remembered to reroll our fog, but. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so, um, the, so we didn't get those in. And then the plan again to kill kill the um, blood letter, uh, kill their warlord, get into the temple, uh, and uh, who who executed that? Great. The uh, the other team, yes. Yeah, yeah. They had the exact same battle same plan. They had the well, same idea. They had the same idea, they, only they did a different order. Yeah. Uh, they killed our warlord first, then killed a monster, uh, and then uh, got to the So yeah, just a little smart bit way different. to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the warlord, by that by that time, you're in, you're in uh, round four. He's a pretty potent dude. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. He was you know, turbo-shooting off our dudes. Yeah. Manticore came across the mountain to, uh, ridges. Didn't even see him on it. Again, not, we should have like one of those... Uh, poles with a mirror on it so we can see around right. that terrain uh or have the you need mounted up on all sides of the board those those uh uh rounded mirrors like in right. uh, <laughs> right. uh well i mean with our tables you got to get down low and you, oh, gotta, you look. gotta look all like, over the place. and yeah. you gotta call your opponents out too yeah like you yeah. got i mean and it's not a jerk move to say hey dude are you sure he can see him because you know, our stuff will block up a bloodthirster if it's Absolutely. in the right spot. Absolutely. And yep. so, you know, you, you got to be able to see that sucker. And, you know, yep. so, um, yeah, it's good there's that a, you guys, yeah. yeah it's so awesome. there's a manticore hiding uh, on the other side of the mountain. He just flew over, decided to, to rip our warlord apart and mm. uh, succeeded. Um, and this Do one you guys remember the, who you were playing in that game? Um, yeah, so that was David and Tyler. Okay. Dan and Tyler. Dan and Tyler? Yeah. I think there's yep. guys, yeah. Um, and what was, again, we'll find out with the dread maw. So he went back and, and he had, uh, five knights and 10 blood warriors attack him. Uh, he can take, he can just take it all day long. He's hit, he's swinging with dishing out, uh, wounds. I think he's better against, you know, five wounds, six wound, uh, heroes and maybe, you know, small, um, chaff units. Yeah. Um, but he can take, he can take it all day. Like he'll, he'll last five, six rounds without, you know. Uh, going down so um 
but yeah, some good things there. And then, and then another one where the, the, it came down on the terrain piece to having all of our, uh, arrow boys, uh, lasting and surviving. And they managed to pull that one off the terrain, uh, feature with the mistress. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and that takes us to, to game five, which had the other epic, uh, story now. So this was the random deployment and, uh, the Mornfang and the Huskard got separated. Uh, so they were not on the same side of the table and, and, uh, um, you know, as you're, you're deploying back and forth, you're like, okay, Huskard's over, over here. It was another 18 inch deployment and he wants to charge. So I put him up on the line. And, uh, and we were playing against uh, Domus and McClure, which are notorious for being uh, hardcore. He's going to totally, oh boy. You just opened up Pandora's box, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so the, these guys, uh, time and time again, get uh, you know uh, best um, sports and yeah. are just a lot of fun to play against and, and a lot of fun to to. Talk shit. Uh, sorry, you're gonna have to lightning strike me up. Yeah, no, it's off awesome. Twitter. Uh, <laughs> and uh, um, and so uh, across from the Huskard, um, Domus uh, um, proceeded to put down uh, a, a, a Chaos War Mammoth, uh, a the Glotkin, yeah, um, a Hellpit Abomination, yeah, uh, a Great Unclean one, yeah, a Plague Drones, yeah. Uh, and uh, off to the other side was a, a Gorgon. Yeah. So all over on this right flank, he rolled all those came coming on that side. Um, and the Huskard took one look at that, and he said, I am not up for this. Uh, and, and so we kind of had to, we forced us to take first turn, otherwise he was just going to charge and we kill him. Yeah. And so we, I, I backed him up. And now, we, David, this is where David and I decided we should play a game where we don't talk to each other at all and go back to true <laughs> armies and just try and screw each other over. Yeah. Uh, cause that's what I did. I, I, I didn't decide this. Eric decided this unilaterally, but yes, go I was on. like, I'm getting out of here. And, uh, I put the dread maw off on the side kind of as a, as something to block something up. And then, uh, uh, turn one, he was, uh, he put, uh, I think it was turn one, the mammoth, uh, the glotkin, uh, the, some knights, some, uh, wrath mongers all got into combat with, uh, Davies, uh, savage orcs. Yeah. So, I was like, nope. Cool. I got this. I got this. It's good. <laughs> uh, and and funny there is the mammoth ran or uh, charged across the, um, well, all of that stuff charged across the your your poisonous, uh, um, yeah, you know, rivers, and the mammoth rolled a one, mm. and the mammoth was going to die, uh, <laughs> but the tournament re-rolled the mammoth and he survived. Yeah. Uh, oh. <laughs> oh, it was going to be so awesome. But if it had died, he, he wouldn't have been set up for this epic moment. Yeah. Um, and so the Savage Orcs did a bunch of wounds. To oh, they the, kept they kept poking him, you know, just taking a wound off there, and he rampage around and do a whole bunch of damage to everything, which I was cool with, you know. Oh, yeah. So every time you wounded the mammoth, he would rampage around, and so he would damage his own his own friends um, and that sort of stuff. And finally, um, I charged the the Iron Guts and the Huskard uh, up into the mammoth, and the Iron Guts uh, swung. And the mammoth has 22 wounds. So I think it was one of the, I think Archeon has 20. So this one has more wounds than Archeon. And the Iron Guts did 29 wounds uh, to the mammoth, uh, nice. just flaying him into a bunch of little elephant pieces uh, that then tumbled. It yeah. fell. He, Domus says, all right, pick what direction he falls. So we obviously, had to dice I picked off, the, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, did we dice off for we, that? We, we diced off. We, we won that, yeah. 
okay, cool. Then, wow. Um, then uh, uh, he hit, the, so I said, well, he's going to go that way. And so in him falling, the mammoth died, and then Glotkin died, and then the Chaos Knights died, the unit of Wrathmongers died, and the Gorgon sitting in the back uh, took, uh, got hit after that. Um, and uh, so it just was a domino, and it was so fun to have, you know, that Domus brought this model that could, you know, injure his own party, you know, his own army and that sort of thing. <laughs> but just made for this this huge epic moment where we were literally going to get just crushed off the table. Yeah. Um, but War Mammoth actually saved us. So. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. It was uh, such a fun game. And, th- I mean, this was, they, these guys uh, ended up taking our, our best game. But it was, I mean, it had to be an amazing game because we had such a good game for, like, I was sure those guys were going to get our best game of the weekend. And then these guys... Uh, you know, Domus and McClure just locked it down. Like it was, it was, really well, it was partially yeah. because every time somebody would say something, some song would come to mind. And there was a lot of singing of and dancing, an alarming a lot of singing and dancing. Yes. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so, and, and yeah. Um, and then you had a couple of pretty awesome saves early on, uh, Davey from the, those, that war paint that the, yeah, orcs I, was, wear. I was getting shelled by these, uh, playcock catapults were designed How to many? take on hordes. Um, uh, and, uh, there were three of them. Three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it, it lobbed in, and I was like, me, "I was like, it's cool." I always save on sixes. Six. And I was like, "All right, bring the next one." On. He's like, "Hits wounds." And I was like, "It's cool." I always save on sixes. Six. And don't miss, don't miss. <laughs> yeah. And then and then Glatkin made it into that same unit, and uh, with it, all of Glatkin's attacks inflicted exactly zero wounds on the charge. So it was pretty. No way! Yeah. Holy cow! He, he yeah. may have caused one. He he removed zero models. He he may have he may have uh, wounded wounded one uh, savage orc down a half. So so you were using those holy havoc dice, huh? That oh, are weighted to yeah. roll six. I mean, yeah, but I thought we were keeping it on the DL. But you know, whatever. You know, secrets, secrets get out here. So, so awesome. and, then, and then their warlord was just a was just a mastery. So the all had all the bow skills. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Of the he would point his finger like, at something and destroy it. It was right. crazy. Yeah, so he <laughs> took out a butcher. He took out some Mornfang. He took out our warlord. He took out your uh, the me- the mega boss and yeah. the yeah. the the weird knob. Uh, and so our wargog prophet. So yeah, just the warlord. His warlord. Our warlord took forever to get into to into the right range to. Well, in this, um, he could only target uh, units that oh, uh, collected a crystal and, and uh, the way the dice were falling. We collected a bunch of crystals, which were good for one objective, but bad for the fact that we were getting nuked by his uh, his warlord. So their his warlord. warlord, yeah. yeah. And so uh, there we lost uh, three. Uh, they got three objectives to our yeah, zero. Three to zero. Uh, but it was, a, it was a really fun game. Again, seeing really cool stuff on the table, um, talking schmack across the table and... Yeah. and uh, you know, being able to topple a, a mammoth. Uh, what you guys so, put in my shoulder, shimmy? Oh, we put. So, this was the f- only game that I, I, we deployed the skull, which yeah. is the our, the, our quote unquote um, secret weapon for the weekend. Our secret weapon, <laughs> <laughs> the hunter, two packs of and two packs of saber tusks, and we put yeah. the third pack of saber tusk in the jail because he the, the, when they're all together. So the hunter has an ambush rule; he can come on anywhere on the board. Uh, in any hero phase, nine inches away from the enemy, um, and so, but and then with the formation, he can bring uh, uh, two to four packs of uh, saber tusks with him, um, and so that means you, that's the five models that you would need to get right next to the prison um, to do that. And 
he, they just had so much stuff spread out that there was no right. spot. So they actually just sat and... over and didn't do anything. The whole game. Uh, right. But we had a plan for it and it was going to be epic because it was the first time we pulled out the skull, but, but it was nice because we were able to call the war, everything else that we needed uh, that game. And, and uh, the, the thunder tusk, the two pairs of the two war uh, scrolls of iron guts, the big stab is um, et cetera. So um, everything got on the table and everything had a, had a good ruck. So, um, and those were our five games, um, for us. Yeah, I think, and, and, uh, Somaruk, uh, got his butt handed to him in the last one, yeah. uh, but was able to, um, because of his, his mighty wah was able to reach his, his final form, yeah. uh, with his, his giant bow, his tyranid, uh, bow and his, uh, all of his, uh, eye of Mork, uh, tattoos pound into 11. So, yeah. um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so that was our five games and it was so much fun and so many stories on the table and, and uh, good people to meet and uh, play against. Um, so yeah. Any, any other stories that you remember Davey that I'm uh, forgetting? I think we nailed it. Okay, cool. So then, uh, those are so many good stories, uh, uh, Steve that, that came out of the weekend and I'm sure there's plenty more that we weren't able to gather or get together. Um, you've got to be pretty, uh, happy with, with, uh, with that yeah yeah overall i mean everybody was just really just uh i was just sitting kind of sitting back in awe and watching these armies you know uh, and players just really enjoy the moment and uh it was it was great it was a great thing to see um when you you know when you work on designing something of this nature uh the the payoff is when you see how much fun people are having and um that's when you know you've done something right. So it was definitely, definitely, it definitely showed. So well, that sounds like a perfect segue into the hero phase. The hero phase. So what I wanted to talk about in the hero phase, Steve, was you know because the events you guys run are different than what most players may encounter out in the world because you know they're usually hidden ma- either what we'd call match play events tournament events competitive events um, that have a lot of you know similar some things that overlap but what is it that uh if you you know a new player was saying hey what what is a holy hammer event um tell us what the what's at the core of an event that you guys have run as you guys decided to say hey this is going to be different this is going to be new this is going to be unique what what is it that makes these events unique that's a great question. Um, you know, we're coming up to our fourth event. We'll be in this this February. It'll be our for, our fourth tournament. And I think what makes Holy Wars really unique is a combination of the the scenarios, the tables. You know, all that speaks for itself, right? Um, but I think it's the intimate environment. Uh, so we, we made a decision very early on that we were going to keep our events small. Uh, we weren't going to expand into a really big hall or have ourselves spread out across multiple rooms. Uh, so we're in this really, we got a really great space and we're all right there. So the players all get to know each other and they get to share in the stories and they get to share in the fun. And it, the room really kind of like, the, it's not noisy in there. You can actually hear yourselves talking. It's not shouting. It's a conversation across the table. Yeah, this this um, was. Uh, I want to say I I undervalued this until you know, 
it, it's one of those things you don't notice unless it's a problem. And uh, it was amazing all weekend. I just didn't realize it. And then I was listening to, uh, I think I was listening to Face Hammer, and they were talking about the Warlords, and they were talking about just how loud it was and how hard it was to hear. And I was like, oh, man, you know what? I just came back from holy havoc and that was that was not even close to a problem like there were a lot of people in that room and it was it was awesome yeah yeah so i think you know the thing the thing that uh when i when i first came up with the concept of doing the event what i wanted to do was i wanted to bring what the holy hammers had here at the hq every week you know, and when when we were at the height of our of our club size, we we had gotten to a point where there were 17 of us, and um, when we decided to launch the event, and now realistically we're down to just five of us because all those other players have moved out of the state. You know, so but what we wanted to do was we wanted to bring that kind of element of what we enjoyed doing with Eighth Edition. We wanted to bring that to the public, and um, when I first when I first started thinking seriously about putting the event on, I reached out to other TOs to get advice. And, you know, Joe Rogers, who runs PACA, just his best, the best piece of advice was just to run the kind of event that I would want to play in. And I'm so jealous of all of our players because, uh, you know, you guys get to play. Yeah, I get to play test and I design them, but to actually just sit down and to play the scenarios, like I think, I think this year at Havoc was the very first time. I've ever played on my tables, played a scenario, um, and that was on Friday uh, with some of the Lords of War. I was able to sit down and play. Uh, we played Scenario Five on the on the um, the Free People's Table, the co- Collegiate Arcane, and it was just a blast. Nice. And it was just great to play. and And there were so many laughs and so many fun moments. And when and I think that's the that's the big thing about our event. Like, so we had some new guys. Every every event we always got some, we always have some new players who show up, um, and people you know there's been some that don't come back you know because I mean it's a narrative event okay so um, it's not an event where you're coming to um, to just eviscerate your opponent and max out on points you know our scoring mechanic is not set up that way um, our scenarios are not set up that way it's it's not. A situation, especially at Holy Havoc, it's not a situation where you're going to 20-0 somebody. Now, at Holy Wars, it's a little bit different. At Holy Wars, we have a bit of a different scoring mechanic going right now. And um, we're going to try it one more year, but it's on the table for review for the the Holy Havoc 2018. So, but I think that, I think that at the core, it's the, it's the combination of scenarios, tables, uh, unique and terrain that that uh players dream about playing on i mean you know i i i don't want to be too pompous or uh but you know i i think our tables are right up there with stuff you'd see at warhammer world and stuff you'd see at other you know i mean it's it's right up there so you getting a chance to play on some really amazing amazing tables with terrain where there's been a lot of effort and energy put into creating a unique experience for everybody and and you've got this, like I said, you've got this great hall where we're all together, and um, yeah, you just—it's like it's like you guys all become honorary holy hammers for the weekend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll back that up. It, it, when you talk about the terrain that you want to play on, it's it's it is it, it legitimately is those pieces where you would see them in a gaming magazine or online, and you're like, oh man, that is like inspiring. That that would be so cool to play. I wish I could play on a table like that. 
and instead you get five games of playing on tables like that. So that, that was yeah. really yeah. something else. Well, I think, you know, contrary to, uh, like I mentioned before and some points I hit before, um, if, you, if the point of the tournament, if one of the major focuses of the tournament was winning your games and beating your opponents with your skill and your list building and, you know, your tactics on the table, uh, it doesn't leave room for the table to have a say. Right? right. You typically right. don't want a lot of randomness. You don't want a lot of unknowns or imbalance. And in order for you to create the tables that you've created, they have to have a voice in the game, which means that the that the games are going to get swingy. The games are going to go, going to cascade or go downhill crazy for one game compared to the next game. Yeah. Um, and and depending on what army you bring, right? Uh, bone splitters aren't going to get chewed up as as quickly by an arachnorock than goblins are going to, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Um, and so, sure. The, in order for the terrain that you want, would love to to play on to have a place in the game, um, you've got to dial back that sense of win at all costs and and be open to enjoying. Uh, right. Kind of that, I, that you know the the thing about the thing about our tournaments, if you're a hardcore match 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 play type of player and you want that system where you're, you're in it to win it. Um, you know, I'm not sure that you're going to have an enjoyable time at a Holy Hammer event. I mean, there are some players out there that can enjoy a narrative versus a, a highly competitive event. Um, we've had the highly competitive players, you know, um, we're the tournament that embraced the end times and we're the tournament where every time Malekith died, we cheered and we loved it. And, um, we were doing things very different right from the very beginning when you know let's be honest eighth edition was getting stale um so we were we were doing things like you know sean troy from the lords of war he's always like herner your terrain's gonna screw me up and i know it and you know he's one of the most competitive players i know and he loves coming to our event and and i think that speaks volumes you know so we can we can kind of (laughs) in this volatile political environment we can cross party lines in this tournament (laughs) we can you know, we can, we can appeal to both because, you know, our tables are incredibly tactical. Yeah. The terrain, our, our slogan is, um, uh, you know, the tournament where the tables get to play. Okay. Uh, you guys experience the toned down version of a Holy Wars, Whoa. Holy Hammers event. I mean, the, the, the biggest thing that's going on right now is I've got kind of an internal conflict happening within the, within the council. You know, I've got, I've got some people within the Holy Wars council who want to, who who would rather us, you know, maybe do a, it, it take a take take more from the general's handbook and take more from the battle tomes, so we can just kind of be more plug and play, um, and and I understand that perspective one hundred percent. I totally get it, and you know, but I'm not sure that's who we are. You know, um, right. when I when I look at who we are and I look at how we've continued, we must be doing something right for us to have a 30 player, you know, singles event, right. That sells out in two hours. And then a, you know, 40 player event, we decide to launch a team event and we sell out in a few days. So we must be doing some people want to come and, you know, and I don't know if the tables are enough to sell somebody to travel. If we were just saying, okay, you chick, we're going to, we're going to run our tournament. We're going to have, you know, it's going to be five games and you're going to play one of the six scenarios from the general's handbook in match play. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, I don't, you know, I've been to tournaments like North star and I've been to tournaments like Wapaka where they have excellent, you know, awesome tables. And 
I don't know if I would, you know, say to myself, okay, yeah, I'll keep coming back. You know, um, I don't know. I mean, there's some guys that will, you know, and, and, but I think that there's something to be said for the, for what we've kind of built here in this yeah. unique, you know, narrative kind of style. And I think what's, what's really awesome is, you know, GW gave us the general's handbook and the general's handbook is, is, is it's great. You know, you've got, you've got open, you got narrative, you got matched. And, one of the things I fear more than anything else in, in our community right now is we're, as everything's starting to rebuild and, and we're kind of starting to gain traction as a game and you're starting to see more and more players wanting to get go to tournaments and becoming a part of it, is that we're going to fall into the vanilla tournament scene again. You know, and it's going to be the same six tournaments, the same with maybe a little dash of some story here or there, but maybe we lose sight. Of 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 what um, what we love about Age of Sigmar, which is this kind of like freedom. I think mm-hmm. um, at least that, that's how I view it, guys. I mean, that's that's what I try to do. Oh, yeah. And and last year, you know, Holy Wars is really different from Holy Havoc because Holy Wars has fifteen unique scenarios. Okay, so you know you you get to play five games, but it you know you're not you're not all playing the same scenario in game one. You know, it's, it's, there are scenarios that are designed around the specific tables. There's event, there are events. I mean, you want to talk about a narrative event. I mean, that's a narrative event where you're going to be playing on a tabletop, uh, you know, and, and, you know, you're going to hear stuff going on on the table next to you and you're going to be like, what are they talking about? Cause we're not doing that. Right. Um, and, and that's the thing. And, and, you know, it's, and right now I'm developing a 16th scenario cause we're going to try to squeeze in one more table. So, um, and I mean that—that's one of those things when you look at the event and you say to yourself, "Okay, you know, how do we want to make this event so that it's new attendee friendly?" I think that is. I think that when when players can come to an event where they're saying, "Oh my gosh, I get to—you don't know—you know, I can play, I could be playing something completely different from somebody else." I think that there's a there is something to be said for that. It's it's a very unique tournament tournament experience, and I don't know of any other tournaments that have fi- you know fifteen unique scenarios. Well, um, one of the things I wanted to emphasize too is so um, you know a good question I think that we've got to ask ourselves too is that I think you're right. Uh, match play can be more plug and play. It gives you a lot of things that you can just. Uh, there's still a lot of work around comp and and working with players and all that kind of stuff. It's not that running any tournament is easy, um, but with a, a non-match play where narrative like narrative can mean a bunch of different things mm-hmm. um and so yeah. you know i know at uh, nova they ran an event where after each round they would collectively come up with what does that mean what was the story and right. where from there um to the point where like what i you know what i feel is narrative about um holy wars is again and holy havoc is that the tables tell a story you're putting the people in the situation where the scenarios drive a story that you would never get just by playing a you know a cold objective type game um, right uh, yeah. and and you're coming away with these epic stories because you've got yeah. crazy models on the table like you're just shooting for the moon as far as, right. <laughs> as storytelling right and i think i you know that comes from my dungeons and dragons youth um when i was uh, you know, when I played Dungeons and Dragons in grade school and junior high, and then our gaming group kind of went away, I lost all that ability to kind of tell the story. 
and develop. And then, you know, when Age of Sigmar came out, it was just, it seemed like it opened the floodgates of creativity for me. And, and Holy Havoc really was the first step. Uh, I know it's our third, that was our third event, but really, you know, Games Workshop threw us a curveball, right? I mean, we do our first event and it's eighth edition and the end times came out, right? So we were like, okay, do we adopt the end times stuff or do we just ignore it? And we decided to adopt it. So then fast forward a year, the old world blows up, everybody's mad. And then we have to decide, are we going to stick with the past? Are we going to, you know, or are we going to embrace Age of Sigmar? Mm-hmm. We choose to embrace Age of Sigmar. So we had to reinvent ourselves. And, and so, you know, we, we decided to go for it. And, and then, you know, we come up to this summer after we've already put the comp out for Holy Havoc um, and Games Workshop drops the general handbook on us with points. You know, and and so it's yet another curveball. So I'm just kind of hoping that in 2017, they don't like, you you know, it's once again, throw us another curveball. I mean, if it's an updated GHB with updated points, I don't care. But, you know, I mean, I don't want a whole nother. Oh, my gosh. Um, I would just like some stability. Uh, But 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 the whole idea with Havoc. okay? so uh, forging the narrative. Right. So I, I observed what so early on when we came up with the idea for Holy Havoc. It was, it came out of Holy Wars weekend. Like I said to the crew, uh, you know, November, I had just left, I had just come back in November from uh, North Star. It was their last event in November. And I thought to the team, I said, hey guys, what if we moved Holy Wars to November? And then, you know, there was a bit of, everybody was kind of like, I don't know. I think people like, you know, having it be kind of wedged between Wapaka and, and, and Adepticon, and, and we're like, okay, well, maybe we'll just keep it. And I said, well, do you guys think we could do like a team event? And so then we announced Holy Havoc at Holy Wars. <clears throat> and um, and then uh, within a month's time, we had developed our comp about around the War Scrolls. And this concept of one of the things I wanted to do is I wanted to bring uh, the Warlord from the campaign I wrote for the club. I wanted to bring that to the tournament, right? And so this was our first experiment with that. And I wanted to, you know, and I, I was really intrigued by how it went and um, super excited. And um, so what I want to do is I want to grow from that. And one of the, one of the thoughts with, that we, that we, that I've had is to say, okay, well, how do I bring that warlord upgrading concept into Holy Wars? And, um, unfortunately you know we had already you know back in september i i didn't know how the whole warlord thing was gonna yeah. work <laughs> yeah it's you still it had was, to, to run it through its paces right and it and it turned out so well and 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 the players just did a great job of embracing the narrative uh so uh you know i'm, I'm so i'm super stoked to for you know when holy wars uh, 2018 comes out to build upon that narrative and to, to change it up a little bit. Yeah. And um, one of the so, things, uh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say too, and, and cause I want to get, there's a couple other things that I think that make that I didn't know going into um, havoc. This being my first Holy hammer event um, that set this apart, you know, and one of them being, I think is the, um, and I think oh, we're just going to blend this right into the hobby phase. So I'll just say this part. In the hobby phase, we want to stoke the flame of creativity of hobbyists and find shortcuts and easy entry points for new gamers. There, we're transitioning. <laughs> um, okay. And, and here's the is the 
you talk about the hobby focus. We mentioned that a couple of times. And I mean, I knew it was there because obviously you're putting up this terrain, which just says, hey, you know, if you've got great terrain and great tables, you want to put great armies on there. Right. Um, but yeah. it's not just, so it's a little bit, there's an implicit, um, but your uh, award system, your rules, your, your point system, mm-hmm. your way of kind of awarding people also reflects that um, that wanting to uplift the the hobby and by hobby not necessarily talking about gameplay although that's definitely part of it but the the painting the modeling mm-hmm. the building yeah. armies the the displaying them on boards um, and telling a story um, so tell, let's walk through a little bit of the kind of the awards or the the rubric of points and how that reflects kind of your what sure. people should be coming into to Holy Wars and Holy Havoc. I know they're a little different, but let's talk. Yeah, Holy they are Havoc. a little different. Well, we'll t- yeah, cool. Um, let me uh, let me get to my um, to my rules for it, and then the painting rubric. Yeah, I mean, so, as you yeah. as you work your way towards these, like it, it's just an interesting thing where, like, uh, as someone running an event, you have this opportunity to, you know, create something that says, "Hey, here are the things that are important to me. Here's the things that are important to this event." Um, mm-hmm. and, and experiment some, like we, you know, you've already talked about like right. the, the rules for army construction, trying something different. And, you know, it's real easy to go with what has been done many times before it's, right. it's, uh, it's bold to go with something else. And mm-hmm. that applies on the game side of things and applies on the hobby side of things. And this is where right. you, where you can make your choices on what you say you feel is important on the, on the painting or hobby side. Sure. Um, well, in our scoring mechanic for Holy Havoc, the teams had the chance to score 55 points and um, possibly one extra credit point um, down in painting. And I'll get to that in a moment. So you had, you had the potential uh, f- at the foundation 25, but if you if you were able to max out, or excuse me, 55, but if you were able to max out, you could get 56. Um, so you had 25 points in battle, okay? And they were broken down. You had five objectives you had a main mission objective you had a table terrain objective a warpstone crystal objective a warlord objective and then a fan favorite vote okay favorite opponent vote excuse me and you potentially could have scored five points over the course of the entire tournament if, if somebody voted for you as a favorite opponent okay and then you had 15 points in appearance and then you had 15 sportsmanship points those you know typical sportsmanship points um, that were based around um, your participation, etiquette, that kind of stuff. Okay, um, those points, the sportsmanship points, to win the best, and then with our awards, we had best team, which was your best overall score, your best uh, sportsman, and then we had best appearance, best warlord, and fan favorite. So three out of our five awards are hobby related, more yeah. than anything else. And I think that's good to focus on too. Is that if yeah, if you're wanting to so one aspect of going to an event is there are awards and you you put forth your best foot to inspire other people but also to to get that kind of recognition um for the hard work that you you put into it and mm-hmm. and yeah three of them uh best appearance which is a is a judged um appearance right the holy hammerers yes. um yes. decide which which army has yeah. has is the best painted army um, mm-hmm. there's, there's a fan favorite, which means that at the end of the first night we set up our armies and people go around the, the players go around and, and vote, uh, for their favorite. And, and the one with the most votes gets that award. 
And then the third one is the warlord. So taking the models that you've brought for the warlord and, and um, this being a, also a judged by the, the holy hammerers of which warlord right. is snuff, right? Or exemplifies what you're doing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I mean, the, the sports is, is absolutely, I think obviously is there in a lot of tournaments, but in this one, mm-hmm. certainly because I think you are opening the gates to a lot of crazy stuff. Um, uh, it's important for people to keep open mind, to be good sports, totally. to you yeah. know, help through, you know, not be, you know, in some cases it's easy to be very rulesy, uh, yep. rules lawyer. And mm-hmm. so just kind of backing off the pedal a little bit, you know? Right. Oh, there were some sourpusses in the hall on Saturday. There were some guys that were like, you know, not not too happy, and um, you know, and and uh, that's okay. Um, you know, I get it, I understand. But you knew if you didn't come onto our website and read about it, and you know, so I think that's an important message for new players coming to a Holy Hammer event is that you have to keep an open mind. Yeah, um, stuff's gonna die, dude. I mean, you're yeah. gonna lose models. Effects are gonna be turned off. If you're banking on one tactic, like if you're banking on some type of bubble effect that maybe uh, a chariot gives to you or some kind of, I don't know, luminarch, whatever. But if you're banking on that and that's your whole tactical plan, your tactical plans are going to fail. So, you know, when you, and, and I've been, we we're very upfront about that, that, you know, our ter- we're, we're not looking to break the game or to ruin your experience, but we are going to push you to understand the tactical advantages or disadvantages of your army in a unique environment. When Napoleon rocked up to battle, he didn't know what the other, what the other army was going to have. He had to make adjustments. Every great Patton had to do the same thing during world war two for crying out loud. So it's not, you know, so that that's kind of what it's like, you know, you're going to have to make adjustments on the fly. And yep. if, if you're a new player and you don't like that concept, then, you know, maybe you don't want to come to our event because you know, your stuff's going to die. You're going to, you're going to lose models. Well, and one of the nice things too is, you know, even though that I think there's a high level of hobby going on, this great painting, great modeling, great conversions. You know, the the Warhammer Weekly crew, um, you know, brought amazing stuff. The some local guys, um, the Blood and Guts, and you know, uh, mm-hmm. it's almost you can't name all of them. But there was also sure. some stuff there that you know, new players to the system that maybe haven't had an army for a really long time and haven't painted up to yeah. as high of a standard. Um, right. And, and I really appreciated that it wasn't exclusive to the idea that, you know what I mean? Like if you're not going to have a highly painted army, you can't be there. Um, but I, you know, my hope is that, is that you come with an army and you're inspired and you say, well, next time, you know, I'm going to up my game, you know, my, right. my army is right. going to be just oh, I better. definitely came away from that with, with that feeling. So. Oh, thank goodness. One of the other aspects of our event is that the only award awards uh, that a player can win back-to-back uh, years is like a fan favorite or um, like if you won best overall. Okay. Um, but as far as things like Warlord or um, uh, best appearance – um, that kind of thing. So let's just say Rotor and Braska were to come back who won, they won best appearance or like you came back, uh, for Holy Havoc, you wouldn't be able to win the warlord award, uh, next year. Cause you won it in 2016. So what we do by doing that is that we're giving players an opportunity to shoot for some hardware, you know, like, you, you know, like the, for example, with my, you know, like if you brought an army, um, 
that was just like like for uh let's say uh the blood and guts right if they had one best appearance uh if mike and andrew had one best appearance then they wouldn't be able to win it again you know uh, at havoc um you know mike for example i think butch won i think he won no i know for this year but i mean for holy wars like mike mike's coming to holy wars in february and he is not going to be able to compete for a certain award and if i have let's see yeah so my so the tournament results uh like for example for holy havoc or excuse me holy wars all right um mike butcher won the hammer hobbyist award last year okay so now he's got to take a year off now he he won best appearance the year before okay and best appearance in 2016 went to Peyton Shipman. And so what we're trying to do with that is to just yeah, try right. to elevate the hobby out there. So it's it's that because on one hand you can say, well, you know, the, it should go to the one that has the most merits, right? And if if you're sure. after, they're the best hobbyist, you could go that way. Um, but what it kind of it feels like it does is it it just gives more people opportunity to to shoot for that. Totally, uh, totally. Like oh. You know, uh, you know, butcher is going to be there, uh, and so why even try, right? Yeah, um, exactly. Exactly, and that's not what we want. You know, that's not the purpose of our event. You know, the purpose of our event is to try to give players the 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 understanding that we're going to be rewarding people. Like, I mean, like, um, I I think I want to say. Let me see. So Andrew, for example, Andrew Simons, who he won, he won uh, fan favorite and best army um, at Holy Wars uh, this past year. And I mean, he took away, you know, he, he came away with two awards and, and um, some of the comments we got was like, you know, um, we did get some feedback from some of our players. You know, they let us know. They're like, you know, well, dude, if you won fan favorite, maybe you should best army to somebody else and you know as the when the council we always talk about stuff after the event while it's fresh in our mind and yeah. one of the things we made a we made a commitment to was we were going to say okay look you know we're not going to do the double award thing so you know if, if it, it, we just feel that that doesn't stick within our ethos of who we want you know what we want yeah. um and so you know the thing is like i've been very open with how we do things like it's not a secret right so we're we're real open with everything we share. We sh- I share with people how to build the terrain and what to do. I mean, my gosh, you can see it on my blog. You can see step by step stuff, yeah. and it's the same thing. It's the same thing with uh, you know um, being very open and, and honest with the community about what type of event we're running. And you know, it's not a popularity contest. It's about you know, hey, you do your best yeah. work, you got a shot, and and so you know, p- players know that they. They have a shot to do that, and um, yeah, you know, I mean, I think it, I think it's great, and I think, you know, there's a part of me that wishes more tournaments would adopt that policy, because it is, it's, it's really tough. I mean, when you're just starting out, when I was just starting out, I mean, I mean, I, when I was, I think my first, my first tournament was bits, and I was, I got a, I got nominated for uh, best appearance, and then, you know, they put the armies out to show everybody who's been nominated, and I, I see my stuff sitting next to Hastings, and I'm like, yeah, okay, there's no chance, there's no chance. <laughs> so it's just like, okay, so it's I knew just what nice I had. to be honored in that company, though. Sure, you know, like sure, that. of course, and and you know, I was like, yeah, there's no way, and so then I knew what I that once I knew once I saw Johnny's stuff, and and I love Johnny, Johnny and I are friends, and and I've learned a lot from him, and 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 wanting to to get 
to get to that level. And where it takes a lot of hard work. And but what you got to do is you got to be inspired. And that's what we're hoping for with with Holy Wars, is that people will be inspired um, and want to bring their best stuff. Because like you said earlier, Eric, it's you're playing on these great tables, and um, you should want to have your very best on the tabletop. Yeah. And there was it made for beautiful shots and, and photography oh, yeah. and, and pictures of the event. And, you know, if you're going to promote an event through, you know, pictures of what the previous year was, you couldn't ask for better, you know, uh, promotion than pictures of the event itself. Um, right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so, on the Facebook, on the Facebook page, there's over 400 photos from. Yeah. Havoc. So it's, everybody can find us on Holy Wars. It's Holy Wars GT on Facebook. So just check it out. Cause you'll see, you'll see all the shots. I mean, there's, very cool. Um, and yeah, the hashtag Holy Havoc, you can go back and look at all the tweets that went oh, yeah. out uh, mm-hmm. from that as well if you're on Twitter. Um, so, um, the, so yeah, I mean, I think it's signaling to, to the players that want to come to these events that hobby, you know, strive for your best. And, and it doesn't have to be stellar. It doesn't have to be, you know, everybody's, you know, has to, doesn't have to compare to anybody else's, but bring your best, yeah, right, um, right. You know, so that, that that's part of the event to, to celebrate. Cause I think everyone's going to be focused on, everyone's looking at the armies and what you did well and, and cool paint and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, so you're, you're going to get compliments cause that's what people are focused on. Right. right. And, um, and for, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, for Holy Wars, just, you know, FYI, the painting rubric, it's up on the site so that it's all out there for the public to see. It's on the rules page. Um, you're, it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty, uh, it's, 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 it's pretty specific on what you have to meet in order to qualify for a hobby award. Okay. There's, that's one of the things that we've developed over time, um, you know, there's, there's not a lot of room for conjecture, you know, yep. there were, there well, were, that's a pretty ahead. strong signal even at, for the havoc, you know, Holy Havoc was, you know, there's a, there's a first tier, right. And the first tier yep. was, you know, um, like basically, you know, three colors. And one of them was, you need to have a plaque for your army. And I know that right. there is, and, and talking to, I won't call about, you know, if it doesn't feel comfortable, but I know there was somebody who didn't, um, get that part or miss that part as they're going mm-hmm. through amazing uh paint and conversions on their army but hit that block and so yep. but and that's disappointing and that can be you know frustrating but they would have got 16 points but they only got five right but paint. so knowing and, and having the expectation going into these events that that is an important part you need to, right. to meet all of those points and that yeah. there are going to be kind of levels of kind of elevating the best, you know, the best of the best, just to be celebrated, just to sure. not to be. I don't. You guys aren't trying to be, you know, uh, jerks about it, um, or say, hey, if you don't have a plaque, you don't deserve to be here. It's just right. paying attention to detail, having right. the, you know, having the A to Z kind of, um, you know, all the pieces together to. Yeah, and to, then the, you know, in our defense, the the checklist is posted the day the rules are posted. So, you know, when you go to the website and you see, you know, download the painting checklist now, you, you, everybody had it. So you just got to take it off. And then the thing is, and, and for Holy Wars, I'm really encouraging people to do it because like category one, for example, hobby apprentice, you need five or more models with a single wash, single glaze, basic highlight, basic blending, basic shading. So if you don't have five or more models that are uh, doing that, okay, in your army, then you're not yep. going to move on to category two. And we have it broken down where you're a hobby apprentice, hobby journeyman, and then you are the hobby master. 
And so it's a, it's a, it's going to be a really rigorous rubric because last year, you know, I'll be honest with you last year, it was, it was a nightmare judging, judging paint last year. Um, we had a situation that popped up where we had a couple of players, one, you know, where one of the players was definitely a definitely better painter than the other, but this better painter didn't meet the conversion standard. So they got a lower paint score, right? you know, and, and, and then somebody who wasn't, didn't paint as well, who had conversions, um, got a higher paint score. So like there was a bit of a, there was a bit of a, uh, there was, you know, like, how's that possible, Steve? Why'd that happen? And, and it's like, so what I wanted to do is I really wanted to be explicit as possible to say, okay, look, you're going to have to pass on. And it was, it was very successful at Holy Havoc. So this new kind of rubric that we put together, I think is going to be a lot better for us at Holy Wars. So I'm, I'm really excited kind of to, to actually see how it shakes out. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't we move to the campaign phase? We can talk a little bit about how things turned up, kind of reflection on just some of these choices. Uh, um, specifically, I know we're going to talk about uh, the the comp choice, and then talk a little bit about what is coming next and what choices, what things you might do different in these upcoming um, events. Okay. So we'll we'll move on to the campaign phase. The campaign phase. In the campaign phase, we explore how the plastic hits the table. Rules, scenarios, new tactics, and narrative campaigns. So we've talked a lot about um, Holy Havoc as it went down. Uh, and as as we talked about, everything's a work in progress, right? Like, all our armies are works in progress. This event is a work in progress. So, Steve, you know, you've got your after action. Is there is there anything... Mm-hmm. that you felt like you guys hit on the head and anything that you feel like you want to tweak the next time around? Yeah. Uh, great question. Um, we learned a lot. I, I learned a lot. I learned the, the first thing I learned was to stick to my first instinct. Um, the, uh, as far as, you know, as far as compositions concerned, um, and why we chose the, the comp that we chose, um, well, specifically, I don't know that we've been direct about that. You yeah. Chose, you could, each team, two teams, two players in each team, each player picks 12 war scrolls, not points, not uh, no. number of wounds, not number of models, 12 war scrolls. You put eight on the table, and you can call the war the other four or use them for something or for some other um, other things. What it meant, though, was is that... Uh, was the same cost as a unit of ten skeletons, um, and so that, that was the that was the confidence. It was certainly like, a, wow, what am I going to do with this? Right, right. It's, it's probably the least restrictive, um, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that it didn't uh, overvalue create some you know value differences. Right, saber tusks um, were very. You know, I'd probably take two skeletons over two saber tusks, but I didn't. <laughs> right. But yeah, right. so so just to, to kind of clarify that for, for this episode, I don't know. I'm sure people are aware of it, but for, for this. So yeah. yeah. How did you feel about it? Well, it's kind of um bittersweet. Um when during playtesting we we found it to be a lot of fun. Um there was a lot of stuff on the table. I mean, essentially, you know, well, first let me back up. So like when, why the 12 war scroll or why 24 war scrolls for the army? And 
Um, well, what, 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 you know, at this time when we came up with the comp, it was back in February, um, or March of, uh, so it was well before THB, well before points were even in existence. Yes, you had South Coast and yes, you had, you, uh, had Clash Comp and we had used Clash Comp the year before. And there was a lot of talk on the council about using South Coast and, you know, cause basically South Coast was like points. Okay. Right. So, um, and you know, there are those of us on the council that were like, well, wait a minute, you know, this is age of Sigmar, you know, wh- why should we be point valuing things? Why don't we just, we've always just said, let's just play age of Sigmar. Let's just play age of Sigmar. So we thought, all right, what the hell, you know, for Holy Havoc, we'll just play age of Sigmar. We'll try and keep the comp as minimum as possible. And so what we just basically said was we'll just say, Hey, look, you know, um, let's just let everybody bring what they want. Cause that's what we do here at the club. You know, um, let's, let's just try it and see what happens. Uh, if it's complete crap, we'll just, um, you know, we'll change it. And, um, and that's how we got to that point. So then once I posted the rules and, you know, put some stuff out there on, and if it, in the various Facebook communities, the, you know, one community, and I don't even remember which one it was, um, but we took a lot of heat. Oh, my gosh. You would have thought we, like, killed somebody's cat. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and everybody kind of, like, those people that were complaining about the comp, you know, they, they, they didn't obviously know about us or what, or what the essence of our events were all about. Okay? So I think, I think they kind of – they were quick to judge without thinking and sure, um, but it sure. got to a point where the the vitriol was so much. I mean, I just took the post down. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I, mean, yeah. I don't want my Facebook feed filled up with you know why we're doing you know, you know how stupid we are for doing it this way. So and I just I just it's strange when you got you know an event that only so many people are going to like you know right. I, I, I don't I don't entirely get it. Like I I think we should be encouraging you know people trying different things, but. Right. Yeah. Well, I agree. And I mean, this is early on too. And this, the, the people, the, the people I was getting flack from were even overseas. So I'm like, you're not even going to come to our event. What are you complaining about? Yeah. Um, it doesn't affect you. <laughs> we, we like to back, uh, backseat TO, don't we? Yeah. Right. 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 So, so with the 12 war scrolls, so we just, we decided to give it a shot. And then, um, originally in our rule set for the objectives, we had it set up where you would need 10 or more models. Um, in order to claim something. And um, what we found was that was a bit limiting for armies like ogres. Like imagine if you, if in order to claim an objective, you needed 10 models um, and then you had to be within a six inch bubble with 10 of those. That'd be a tough sled for you versus like the rat army. And it was early on in play testing. My son plays ogres and he had his ogres force out and I was playing um, Sylvaneth, Sylvaneth or what else? I don't remember which one, but I was like, I was gobbling up the objectives. He just couldn't do it because he couldn't get enough models in there. And then once, once I, once I whittled down his force uh, enough, you know, take a few iron guts off the unit, he was just like, all right, well, I, I can't get it, Dad. So, so we went back and we adjusted and we changed. Um, and yep. and so that's the other thing about what we do is we we kind of like we do a lot. Of, there's a lot of play testing, and so so much that the council gets burned out. Right. So, and that's what happened with Holy Havoc. They just got burnt out. They were like done. And then there was a lot of play testing where I was running two armies and jumping around. It was like playing, you know, single player chess. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I was, I had a, I had a whole mono Skaven force on one side and I had this whole order army on another side and I play each, each side of the table equally. And, 
um, and just p- playing through and rolling dice to see how the scenarios were going to, how things were going to work out. And during that time, everything was going really, it, it all went really well. I was feeling pretty confident about everything and I was extremely nervous leading up to the event. And then, you know, Saturday morning rolls in and I'm watching the players deploying stuff. And, and, you know, we gave everybody advance warning of the scenarios, which I think helped. Yep. Um, but then, yep. then what, what threw me for a loop was that I forgot a critical thing. And that is that everybody plays armies a little differently. Um, you know, I, I'm a, I'm kind of like a, you know, like a min max type guy. I like to use minimum size and have flexibility of movement. Um, I'm not a real big guy. Like I might with my rats and hats, I, you know, might have a big horde unit of, of, uh, storm vermin just to soak up stuff. But like, I'm pretty much going minimum sizes when I'm, when I'm, when I've been playing Yeah. and I didn't anticipate the, like, you know, 50, even though I said, you're going to need bodies. I like, there were a few armies out there that just had so many models and then like it it didn't register in my brain that um maybe i should have gone back and double checked those points to realize that some armies were going to be six thousand points and some armies were going to be two thousand points <laughs> so, yeah or right exactly and so i so so and that doesn't it still doesn't bother me because it's age of sigmar so it's like bring what you want you know i mean there are there are those guys that you know, Vince will never play Archeon again. You know, he got to play Archeon in uh, five, you know, f- uh, five games at a tournament. He'll probably never see the tabletop again. And Vince has even admitted that. And he's admitted it on his show. And then, you know, when are you going to see that again? You, you probably won't. You won't see all those all-star hitters ever again at a tournament. So from that, uh, that's the flip side of that coin. You know, that was really awesome to see. That was like Domus's army and Tom's army. It was just oh, awesome yeah. to see. Yep. Um, you know, Vince and Tom, uh, Sean and Stephen, uh, Sean Troy and Stephen Thompson's army, the Mr. and Mrs. Hooves with their with their Nagash army yeah. of, of of brutality, Death Lords. Yeah, and I mean that was really great. And I mean watching that unfold before me was just yeah. phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And um, and one of the things, you know, what we. How did it play out? Well, it slowed gameplay down. Okay, it slowed slowed down the gameplay. So we were originally scheduled to do two and a half hours per game, and I realized it wasn't going to happen. So that's when we extended the games to three hours, um, which which did help. Um, most players didn't get past. I don't think anybody ever got past turn four. Um, right. uh, most I think most people were done around top or bottom of three, um, and and then. That was on day one. And then I made a command decision on day two to extend the deployment zone to 18 inches, okay. which helped get you guys into the fray right away for games four and five. Yep. Uh, the only scenario that was going to be 18 inches originally was uh, scenario five. Okay. So um, having you guys extend, that really helped because then you were in the action turn one. You know, it's pretty much it was pretty much on and that helped tremendously. So we the, we I think our first day we'd had, you know, the first game was two rounds and there was certainly a little bit of a, oh, we've got to do we have to go faster. Do we got to be more efficient? We got to make mm-hmm. our decision faster. That's where we were saying too. I was saying to Davey, let's eliminate one of the objectives and decide ahead of time. We're just going to get yeah. these two, you know, be damned what the other team's going to do. Don't. Don't worry about assessing at the table. Just make some decisions and go for it. Which well, that's also is, is a fun way to play as it is, right? It's it's yeah. 
your strategies. But at the same time, in those two rounds, so much happens. Yeah, right? I, I, I will oh, say 100%, like, that first game, we had an amazing game. We played against some awesome dudes, and uh, it felt like a complete game, even though it only went two turns, because just so much happened in those two turns. So. We had so sure. many combats. Sure. We got to roll so many dice. We had to move so many models. We got to, and we had different, so many different choices to make that, you know, in a, you know, that, so it, it felt like it certainly wasn't five rounds, but if I'd played five rounds of that many models, that would have been a lot, right? Yeah. So, so it, it had its, I mean, and again, it was just a different, it, it became, okay, what can we do in two rounds? Like, how do we... Yeah, it didn't, it didn't take away from anybody's game experience because you right. were doing a lot within those two rounds. I mean, a lot. Yep. You know, one of, the, one of the takeaways in my notes is that for next year, Call to War should be limited. There shouldn't be, it shouldn't be all your heroes. You know, if you have, you know, of course, we're going to look to implement points because points make, the, that's the, probably the first thing. Okay. Okay. The first thing we're probably going to be doing moving forward, and we're trying it for Holy Wars, is we're going to be adopting the GHB point system. Okay. Okay. And all that does is that makes it easier for players to build their armies. Now, I am not a fan of battle line restrictions. So I'm lifting the battle line restrictions to allow players to just bring what they want. Um, Other restrictions are still in place. So you still have restrictions with war machines and behemoths and stuff like that. But for Holy Wars, I'm experimenting with the idea of lifting the battle line. the battle line restrictions. So I think, I think that'll definitely help. The other thing that was the, 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 the big thing though. Okay. And you guys just mentioned it. Okay. You mentioned, and even when you were in the, um, in the, um, uh, story phase, story, is that what it is? Story phase. Sure. Okay, yeah. When we'll you guys were talking about your, when you guys were talking about your gameplay, it's the back and forth that you're, you know, when, you know, when you're talking to your teammate about the tactics and what you want to do, yeah. I didn't take that into account at all. And time um, it takes to kind of absolutely, discuss. absolutely. Yeah. Like I was watching like uh, a few players, a few teams like Domus. Domus thought I was like uh, checking up on him uh, to make sure he was following the rules. I wasn't. I was which, just observing. Which, uh, you know, happened. that guy's sketchy. So more yeah. than <laughs> right. Danny bastard. Right. Yeah, I think that was your game too. I was like hanging out at your table, and uh, or no, that was Tim and Brosca. No, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't <laughs> you guys. But anyway, um, the, the, what I was observing was I was watching. I was intently watching the gameplay and how the camaraderie was going. And you know, you've got four guys at the table, and the way our event is, it's such an intimate event that yeah. everybody was talking to everybody. Everybody was having a blast. They were, you know, so so you have to when you're designing something like this and you're creating your comp system, whatever it's going to be, you kind of have to take into consideration that component. Because if you don't, you're you're you know you've got what we have, where it's just like, oh my gosh, there's not enough time to get the game. So I think you know, in hindsight, it's probably sitting around 15 points per player on a team, limiting the number of call to wars. Um, maybe you know, if you do a call to war, you can't do magic. Um, there was a bit of conjecture on that. I think I screwed up. I may have told somebody on day one that. If you call to war, it eliminates all abilities. And then I think I might have said magic too. In all honesty, I don't remember. Um, so there was a bit of like miscommunication there. Um, the other thing that we could have done to speed things up was what we could have done was we could have told Tep that it's team dro- team A drops, team B drops. Uh, one of the things that happened was we noticed that players were alternating. And that just adds a layer of compli- complexity. So... Um, 
and time, you know, because like if, if you, you know, Eric, you drop and then, okay, Domus drops and then Davey drops and then Tom drops. It, it gets to be, you know, it should just be, okay, look, it's our turn. You guys can then just drop at the same time and you move quicker. And, yeah. um, and so there's those kind of things. And it was our first team event. So we learned yeah. a lot from that. Well, we were, we were doing that. Um, we did manage to do those double drops like we were doing that. And then the other thing we were doing is that we were trying to play two parts of the game at the same time. So if they were in combat, if if there was a combat we chose, and then if they knew what they were going to choose next, we would run them both at the same time. One of our, yeah. you know, Davey would run one combat with one of their players, and then their, their other player would run a combat with me. And, and just kind of, again, try and see what you could be doing yeah. simultaneously to keep the game moving you yeah. know? right and, and, and so we'd slow like, it down if that was you know if there was like man like this particular combat the outcome of this is gonna like is super right. impact if it a was bunch of things we're like, all right let's roll this on its own but when there's the opportunity right. we're like all right let's let's you know let's do this these things are way apart from each other we can roll these or whatever so yeah and i think that i think that uh you know 24 war scrolls that was a lot that's a lot of war scrolls yeah um and if if we were to stick with the same comp, um, you know, if I was to do that again, I probably would have, my, you know, I'm probably struck down, you know, maybe making it twenty. Um, that might have helped, uh, you know, ten per player as opposed to twelve. Um, and then, um, like I said, I think the call to war element, because because what that did was that created though it was really cool. What that did was that create, you know, most most teams were trying to call to war right away to get those models because they didn't want to fail because you'll fail a call to war role. So if you have the opportunity before your heroes die to do it, you, you better do it. Right. Well, I'll, so, say, well, I'll say it's that it's before your heroes die, but it's also before your heroes are like needed for their abilities. Cause it would cancel out their other abilities. And like, well, turn one right. is a time when I'm, I'm least likely to need what they, you know, the other stuff. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I think that that mechanic needs to be adjusted a little bit. Um, so I, that's on the, yeah. Go ahead, bud. No, I recognize your challenge there because you've got, I mean, I think it might have been some of the reason why we saw so much chaos there was that they could pull from their Havoc pool by summoning uh, to some extent. So could some of the order with their Slan and and, uh, Death certainly could could do plenty of summoning. Destruction, we were the only destruction force out there uh, barring that one hybrid team. And, uh, you know, who knows what all the factors were, but certainly it could have played in that... uh, you know, with no summoning, the only way to bring stuff on for destruction was called a war. Um, you know, right. so I, I I think that's a really difficult thing as a as a uh, organizer to figure out how to balance that to to make that available yeah. for everybody. I think that I think the the um, you know when like I said before, I think you know during playtesting, um, call to war became. Um, became something that was just automatic and I just didn't see it. You know, I'll admit, sure. I'm first to admit it that, you know, it was first turn. Okay. I'm going to roll right down my battle line. Okay. Here we go. You know, starting left to right, call to war, call to war, call to war. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Oh, missed here. Okay, great. I'd leave that guy, you know, I'd leave that guy out of harm's way so I could use it again. You know, like it's, it's, so I think it definitely needs to be adjusted. Um, the, um, um, and I think the other element too that would have changed things dramatically is if it did eliminate abilities and magic, because yeah. that was one of the things that would happen. You'd see you'd see teams going down the list. Okay, call to war, call to war, call to war, call to war, and then they would go back to magic, and then yeah. it's like, oh. And then when you have somebody like Archeon or you have somebody like uh, Nagash who can just have like an endless magic phase or or Croak, it just 
made the games drag you know like it was like right. okay we're do- oh we're finally done with our hero phase and i was like yeah. oh my gosh really and i didn't want to I-, I saw that stuff you know after game one but then i didn't want to like throw a curveball at everybody and say okay look here's the way it's going to change you know because i think when you if you change the rules midstream it makes you look bad as a to look it makes it look like you don't know what you're doing <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I mean, and, to some extent, that's true. But to another extent, like, you guys did a really good job of uh, picking an appropriate time to adjust on the flyer. Like, look, like, we're seeing that it's difficult to get, uh, you know, to games done, so we're going to expand out and to, to three hours per game. And it's uh, the need to do those things, you know, it's, it's challenging. You, you hate to have to, but uh, you guys were being experimental. You were pushing the envelope on what... You know what yeah. an Age of Sigmar event could be, and uh, so I I put huge kudos out to you and your guys' team for trying something Thanks. different and, and figuring out how yep. to like on the fly still make it, you know, we'll make these tiny tweaks that don't overwhelm and you know completely change the face of the event, but like keep it within the spirit of what we want it to be, and uh, and make it better. And I thought I thought you guys yep. struck that balance really well. And I think if. If I had any kind of feedback for the, you know, either the changing the call of the war or, or that sort of thing, what I what I would love to see is, you know, like if you did something like change it from a six to a seven, right? It becomes yeah. a little harder to do. And what it is just right. like, what can you do to make it a hard choice and have uh, an epic outcome, right? The again, right. not yeah. not for gaming, not for like making it more competitive, right? But what makes it a, a higher, a better risk reward combination, right? Absolutely. If, if I do this, it might be hard. Um, right. And I may not get the guy on the board and not get to use my abilities. So, right. uh, you know, do that. But then also maybe instead of back board edge, right, because we can't summon, maybe they, they come on wherever you want them to. So they're ambushing more. So that yeah. reward is higher. And, um, you know, if you get that, so it's like, oh, but I really want to try because I can put them anywhere. Um, right. And if, if the choice is summon or call the war, then, you know, what can you do to say, well, maybe you want to call the war instead because they're, right. they're buffed up a little bit or they're, yeah. you, know, you know, so just whatever you can do to just, again, to kind of focus on, <clears throat> on, on that hard choice and an epic outcome, right? Um, right. So... Uh, but I think that the fact that you could call the war, I mean, in and of itself was a, was a cool epicness to it. And I think, um, that I think people picked up on that. Um, if there was one other thing that I would say, um, and you know, obviously I'm not a TO my background, some, I've, I've spent a lot of time encouraging like youth, like gatherings and like groups of, of kids doing stuff, motivating them to just get into the event and that sort of thing is you are so passionate about what you're doing and what you've decided to do. And, um, I would say you could probably have spent just five more minutes at the beginning, like that first night when you had us all together, um, mm-hmm. focusing us back around that spirit of, of the Holy Hammerers, all the things that we've kind of talked about here about what to expect, mm-hmm. um, to open your minds right. and your imaginations, uh, to not get hung up, you know, and to go over, you know, what the, what the focus of the event is. I think you, you mentioned that, you know, we're all about the hobby, um, during the award ceremony. Um, but you know, bring that up front, you know, right. what you want people to do and what you want to encourage them to be about and, and that sort of stuff. And I think that your, your imagination, your inspiration for doing these events, um, up at the beginning would just set the, set an even stronger tone for the event. And I think, um, yeah, I think that's yeah, I, forgot, a, I forgot to do that. 
I'm sure you always do it anyway, and so it was just one time. Yeah, but, no, um, I think I have. I, 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 I think I have. I don't know. I mean, I, um, yeah, it would. That's a great piece of advice for sure to to kind of reset everybody's brain into what what they're there for. Yeah, I yeah. love that. When you, when you have a group of people kind of away in a new place, um, in that kind of intimate setting, you can. I mean, there's a lot you can do to just kind of shape that 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 those first kind of ideas going into it that. That can change the dynamics a lot too. So, and then, um, oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, the other, the other big, the other big factor, and I, I mentioned this earlier about about listening to my instincts. Um, you know, when the scenarios were first designed, and this is the other thing I would like to have changed is or learned. When the scenarios were first designed, everything was dying. I mean, things were dying rapidly, um, and um, it was opening up the tables and, and, you know, some of, some of the feedback I got from the council was that it was just too much. It was too much death and destruction. And in hindsight, what I did was I, I not only did I tweak the scenario, but I also tweaked the table rules. And I think that was a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the, some of the terrain, you know, was actually deals out D six mortal wounds, not D three. Um, there were, there were, there were greater, there was greater treachery, greater buffs and, and things were toned back significantly um for havoc and i I overdid it and um the so so that was the other the other element that was learned is we need more havoc at havoc Um, (laughs) we just need to remember what the essence is and i i mean you know some there's been some talk that maybe havoc becomes a match play event versus a narrative event um and i'm not sure um how i feel about that at this point um but you know, for me, the the um, sticking to who we are, sticking to our fundamentals, is and our values as as uh, as a club is really important. And I think that that's like, that that kind of got missed a little bit. And I think when we had our Arachnorock incident, I had already <laughs> I had come to that conclusion. So that's part of the reason why I was like, no way, you're not turning that thing off. <laughs> yeah, because I was ticked off at myself that I had I had you know I had kind of minimized some of my uh, terrain design and my ter- my terrain rules. So, um, you know, so, so well, that's think, the other thing. I think it's important is, as there are more events that come up, but I think there will be lots more events, and I hope alternative to match play events. Like, um, I think it will be important to kind of have a, I mean, for lack of a better term, a brand, something that Holy Wars is and the Holy Hammers are known for. Um, yeah. You know, and so certainly you can add some match play elements in it. But I think if you lose the the big terrain, the the big stories, the big models, the centerpieces, the you know high hobby, that sort of thing, and and um, and shift too much towards um, the competitive side, um, yeah. and I think what I'm hearing though is that that's what you're choosing to do is a lot of work. And I think anytime you move outside of match play, you have to, you do have to decide well how much work do we want to do to have the event we right. want to have. Um, right. But I, I I hope that you guys saw that that for all of us that came that it was worth it. Um, and oh, totally, hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that it was worth the experience. In fact, um, you know, my my feeling in, in the last few days. I mean, I even had I've had other TOs reach out to me about you know trying to combine or uh, running an event at their event, um, and you know I. I, I, I know what I, I you know I the, the the community that comes to our events they 
want to play at these types of events. They want to play at this event. They want, they like what we're doing. Um, it's evident and that we sell out. It's evident that we have a wait list, um, you know, and we have repeat attendees, you know, people coming back year after year after year yep. uh, to a point where it could become an invitational someday. <laughs> and uh-huh. so, um, you know, the, the reality is you know sticking to who we are at a core i think it would be the would be the our best step forward i think if we were to deviate from that path because there's something easier the path that's you know taking the path that's less traveled you know like robert frost says is it makes it all worth it so i think that uh trying to stick to who we are fundamentally is the path to go you know we have the scenarios designed uh, we can tweak things. We can change things. We can swap tables out. I mean, we have five tables that weren't there. We bring in five new tables, which means it's going to be, uh, f- uh, you know, uh, a new five new experiences um, for players on on new boards that they've ne- maybe they've never played on before. Right. So, um, you know, and we could still stick with what we've got, and we can in- we can enhance. You know, like the biggest takeaway was the d- delivery of the warpstone uh, shards is a tough tough scenario um you know how do we change that maybe the deployment zone has to be 18 inches um you know um so there's a there's a lot of different things we can do to enhance what we've already got and um and i'm excited about that possibility so cool so why don't we run through um the awards sure um lift up those who had excellent hobby uh, or you know kind of excellence uh from that standard um and we can talk through the standards and we'll wrap up yeah, yeah, sounds good. So, um, so the really cool thing was that we had a three-way tie for best team. Awesome. Um, and our three-way tie for best team was Sean. Tr- uh, I'm sorry, uh, um, Walter, uh, Duncan, and Pat Brinlinson. Um, and then um, uh, Sean Troy and Stephen Thompson, and um, the Vince and uh, it uh, was Vince uh, Venturella and Tom Lyons, and the winner uh, was uh, Sean Troy and Stephen Thompson. They uh, we go, we broke down. I don't have my sheet in front of me, guys, but I think what we did was yeah. then we went to sports and then we went to another category to break the ties. But we had three three uh, a three way tie. Uh, it was phenomenal. It was, it was, uh, it was just, it was, it was great. It was, um, and I, I really regret not mentioning calling out all three teams, um, there at the event. I really regret not doing that. Yeah. Um, and then for best sports, um, we had another, uh, three-way tie, I believe, <laughs> uh, for best sports. Um, and, uh, that came down to Andrew Niekamp and Chris Braska. Uh, Lou uh, Mancigini and Nick Fenske, and then Tom McClure and Domus. And uh, the guys who took home best sports were Lou and Nick, and they were phenomenal, and uh, they, they, they were awesome players. Nick is, you know, they're both top-notch guys. Yeah. Now, all, all, all six of those guys are great. Every single one of them are great to play against and, and really give you great games. And then um, <clears throat> our fan favorite went to Mike butcher and andrew simons for blood and guts that's the yeah. uh kind of chaos army that we had the floating rocks on uh, great display board top-notch work yeah i uh i tweeted that was the first one the first uh board that i tweeted out uh that friday night and uh mm. 
uh, got a lot of, of response on on that army, yeah. Um, yeah. and uh, that's one that's one we voted for. Um, I mean, there's a lot of great stuff, but that one just <coughs> caught our eye and our imagination with their conversions mm-hmm. and their clean paint. Oh yeah. And, uh, muted tones and the flying rocks and the, the huge display and et cetera. So, um, yeah. uh, but there was a, I mean, again, so many fantastic armies, the, uh, the war hammer weekly guys, um, just those huge, big stompy monsters, same with, yep. uh, Thomas and McClure. Um, and the, the right. guys who won best sports had another chaos army with, with Archeon, um, John, yep. um, sorry, Joe and, and Marv with their, um, you know, Archeon and, and Scarbrand and, and all that kind of stuff. So all around just some amazing, beautiful armies. And, um, but it was cool to see, you know, Mike Butcher's, a a, f- a favorite, uh, f- often for the hobby for putting out great paint, great, amazing conversions. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, the, um, his partner is Andrew, right? Um, yep. uh, nerd apprentice on, uh, Twitter, yes. like both of them, just <laughs> fantastic work. Uh, really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I know we yeah, it was were, a gorgeous, were, it was a gorgeous army. We it had, was. uh, we, Davey and I were cleaning up that night or whatever. And there was the two guys that we played, uh, Dan and, and Tyler were, were trying to decide who to vote for between, uh, theirs and ours. Um, and, uh, they, they couldn't, they couldn't agree and they refused to agree. And so they paper yeah. rock scissored for it. And uh, Dan ah. winning, and uh, they, they their vote cast for for those guys, and and they that's broke where the our, tie because you guys were tied. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where our vote was too, and so I'm yeah. happy that they, it was happy that they got it for sure. Yeah. It was a tie for fan favorite until late Sunday when somebody got their sheet in damn late, and <laughs> and then uh, you know, it was a, it was a tie between you guys and uh, and uh, Andrew and and Butch, and and um, so then we have uh, best appearance. Uh, our best appearance award that was tough. We had narrowed it down to three uh, three teams. We had narrowed it down to uh, you guys, uh, Vince and Tom, um, with their end times army, and then uh, Braska and um, and uh, Rotor, Rotor yeah. um, for their uh, for their army. Yeah. And that was it was a, it was a tough process, and it came down to in the end it came down to it came down to to Bras- Rotor and Braska and Vince and Tom. And yeah. the deciding factor actually was uh, <laughs> Vince's refusal to rebase his Skaven to match. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if he had done that, um, the award for best appearance probably would have went their way. Um, although you really had to study uh, Braska and, and Rotor's army. Um Braska had a storm. He did stormcast, and he painted that that whole thing in two months. Yeah, and yeah. that was. If, if you get down, yeah, yeah. It, it really is. And and the thing about Chris's work, um, which is just so phenomenal, I've been an admirer of his stuff for for quite some time. Is it's just so clean and it's so deliberate um, in what he's doing. Like yeah. he had he had blood splatters that if you looked close enough, you could see these tiny little blood splatters on the on the, on the side of a helmet. So like, you know, this, 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 uh, decimator came, came flying in and smashed something and the blood was splattered on the right side of that. You know, like there's a story in that. And, um, the way he did the, um, the shading on that gold is just beautifully done. Mm -hmm. I mean, put the, he put the washes where it needed to go exactly where it needed to go. 
And then when you look at when you when you get down and dirty and you look at when you look at uh, rotors, lizards, um, that that guy he gets in there and he you know he edge highlights the palaquin, every stone, yeah. uh, the attention the attention to detail in there is just so amazing, and it was and it was well learned and i mean you know vince and tom's armies are just you know they were gorgeous as well it was a tough decision but the the square bases made it easy (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it did and then um and then best warlord so best warlord went to uh to you eric um for uh what's his name what i'm samorak or samorak and um i kind of screwed the pooch there i guess i should have mentioned the other the other two um that's fine um, no, yeah, just, there's so just was, no drama anymore. Yeah, there's no <laughs> drama, I guess. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. Screwed that up. You want me to start over? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah start over. We'll, no. You want to start so, yeah. I'll, so I'll re-say it if you want me to re-say it. <laughs> well, you, you can just – we'll just say who else was up for it okay. for sure. So we had the three – our three warlords came down to Blood and Guts, uh, the End Times, and the uh, the Endless Destruction. That was the name of your team, right? Endless you And so, – yeah. um, this is good. So, so what we do for this, for the judging of this, was that uh, the th- we took those three. So basically, what I do is um, um, when after I see all the armies and I go through all the paint judging, um, you can check I, and you can check uh, both the um, Holy Wars and I think your Twitter account, my Twitter account, uh, probably Vince Ventrell's Twitter account for um, uh, the, the what those three were and and um, uh, Mike and Andrew from Blood and Guts they had a choreograph with twice blessed Korgorath, um, uh, and you know, part Nurgle blessing and part, uh, coin blessing. Um, Vince and, uh, Tom had, or Vince had made this, um, Zinch, um, war, you know, hero on, on a horse up on top of this plinth, like a floating rock, um, uh, next to a portal that he was calling things to war through, um, and just some beautiful OSL and, and, you know, this blues. Oh, and phenomenal blues. work. Yeah. Phenomenal um, work. Um, um, and then as I described, my guy had just my, my shtick was the, you know, I was, uh, don't up. call it a shtick, dude. <laughs> don't call it a shtick. Let me talk about it. Okay? okay. Okay. Uh, just stop talking, dude. I'm taking over your show right now. <laughs> okay. So, so basically what, what we had here was, um, we had these three armies as Eric just said, and uh, we took those three models into this uh, the little office area over there at our at our place at the at the inn. They have like a little office place where we can get a closed door and kind of do like a closed door meeting. And so, um, you know, we we sat down and we we were talking about the different models and everything, and we loved all of them. You know, like every single one of them had something that made them that made them uh, that made them. D- they deserve to be there they made the cut because of something and each one was different okay you know you mentioned vince's with his uh, with his osl and his amazing paint um you know butch and and andrews made you know made the cut it was a great conversion it was amazing but what the story behind butch and andrews was that they worked on it together so Butch made the conversion. Andrew painted it. Awesome, right? I mean, total right. teamwork yeah, to create cool. their warlord. I mean, that's friggin' awesome. And then we got to your warlord. Okay, now your warlord was the smallest in stature. Okay, <laughs> uh, it's it's definitely small. I'm looking at the pictures nope, on my Twitter absolute, feed it, 
right now. Okay. It was like, like, yeah, I mean, he's already on like a three inch base and he's a yep. two inch model and he was yep. still like three inches to four inches oh, shorter. Yeah. Than totally. else. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so what no, happened was this that. was it. So like, it, it wasn't even, I mean, like we brought them in and we sat, we sat down and we were, we were, we were going through it. So we, you know, we started off with, with Mike and Andrews and we talked about the merits and we talked to, and we went to Vince's and we were just like, Oh my gosh, look at that. He's got snow melting and you know, awesome stuff that he was doing. And, and just, just awesome. And he's got like a, his own little realm gate behind his dude. And it was just, it was so well done. And we got to yours and I'm like, okay, so, you know, I, I asked the guys, I'm like, okay, you know, John, what do you think? He's like, oh, it's got to be Eric's. And then Jason, what do you think? Yeah, it's got to be Eric's. And I said, yeah, I agree. It's got to be Eric's. And the, the, I cannot explain to your listeners what was going on. So, you know, this little dude starts out and like Eric said earlier in the show, he kind of leveled up and, and he gets these tattoos, but I mean, we would watch Eric in between. So people are running out doing stuff and yeah. having a good time. They're get there. You know, you're on a break. You've just played for three hours. You're on a break. And here's Eric sitting down at the, at the, at the little scoring table and he's painting tattoos on his warlord. Talk about embracing the Holy hammer hammer and holy wars narrative i mean just awesome stuff and if you know dude if you if you come down if you ever move to this pathetic state in the land of lincoln you are going to get an invite to become a holy hammer because holy crap dude that is totally us i mean that's like the conversion it was just phenomenal i mean it was just great to watch this guy actually level up and and to do that and what was really cool was that you had conversions for each path so you had the sword for if you chose the path of the slayer and then you had the bow for the path of the hunter and that was just like phenomenal to go to that effort man and to magnetize it and to to show that type of leveling up it just pushed it right over the top so congratulations and kudos to you because at our events the best warlord at havoc and then the best hammer hobbyist are the two pinnacle pinnacle awards and congratulations to you uh for taking home the uh the first ever uh best warlord at havoc so congrats dude it was well earned man it was just so it was so great to watch it just totally fit in with the theme and and uh i just loved it well i i did i i was chatting with davy and a couple other local guys and i said hey I had sketched it up in Photoshop, and I said, what do you guys think of this? And nobody told me to not do it. Nobody told me I was insane. Nobody stopped me. Uh, <laughs> we we so, said it behind uh, his back, but we... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was, it was pretty fun. And in fact, uh, kudos, um, I, didn't, I couldn't find a, a bow for the third level, um, uh, something in between a, um, a, uh, the kind of a souped-up Savage Orc bow and the Tyranid bow. And so I... Uh, I was chatting with people, and Vince brought uh, the um, uh, a Kurnoff Hunter bow for me. Uh, so the, on Friday, he handed it over to me, and so that night I had to paint that one up quick uh, to look like a <laughs> Ushabti bow uh, with uh, well, Tyler Mangles. So, uh, but it was I maybe mean, it was a lot of fun. I mean, like again, like this was the environment. This is the environment to do it to like um, inspire people to do really cool things off the board things, and, and you can't you don't get to do them at a at a, at a competitive only, like where the emphasis is on, you know, playing games hard. Like right. 
I didn't have to worry about the next game so much. I could sit and I could paint a little bit and, and tell yeah. a story. And so that, that's, right. that was what the time was for. Right. So, yeah. And, and, you know, that's great that you should say that. Cause one of the things that, that we're trying to do, and, and we're starting to see more of the players react the way you did, um, embracing the narrative. And one of the things that I am currently thinking of doing is embracing it even further by like bringing the campaign map into the narrative event yeah, and letting man, players like letting players look at the map and in between games and say, okay, look, we want to capture this territory and we want to capture this territory. And, and, uh, so yeah, so we're so we're always taking a look at that. So the more we can get players to be engaged um, in that intimate level and embracing the narrative like you did with your with your warlord, that was just so awesome and so cool. cool. One of the other things that came out of that after watching him, uh, you did exactly what I was hoping people would do with choosing the path to the slayer or the hunter. And one of the things we were we were trying to figure out a way we could do it. We don't know yet, but um, we thought, wouldn't it be cool at Holy Wars if like you had this low little champion right and at holy wars during those five games you earn stuff right and then that champion is your warlord at havoc and then <laughs> you could like carry over something from holy wars into havoc um, um i thought that would be really awesome and it would be so cool to see players like want to come back like be like okay look i, I chose this path for my little champion because i at holy havoc i want him to become a wizard or i want him to become my you know my arc major or i want him to yeah. become my warlord and um uh yeah so i don't know we're no, trying that's to, cool to do that to keep the universes together um that they yeah. have, that they affect yeah, each other absolutely. that's pretty cool yeah so well awesome well i appreciate it. yeah let's uh thank you for for coming on the show thank you for, well bigger than that for running such a cool event and and a shout out to the holy hammerers i got to know uh, jason vargas a bit he's an amazing guy and a fantastic uh, right hand to have uh, oh, yeah. not, not to mention uh, your wife and and the rest of the crew that i didn't get to meet as much um so i hope i get to meet them next time and get to know them as well um but yeah thank you for this fantastic alternative event and for for having the you know, having a, the courage to kind of try something new and different. Absolutely. Um, and I hope that, I hope that that's rewarded through both, you know, the people that were there telling you how great it was, but through continued kind of success and, and notoriety for your events. Well, thanks guys. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. Um, um, it was a pleasure and, uh, you know, thanks again for the support. Uh, we couldn't do it without our sponsors, you know, you guys, castle kits, TC war room, Cromlich, and square uh six squared so it's 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 awesome and um we do we do appreciate it and um you know without 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 the community um you know we wouldn't be here so it really we do it for you guys so we're glad that you guys come and support us so thanks a lot awesome man it's time for our reforging come discuss the show on our tga.community forums follow us on twitter at mortal realms Davey is at red underscore Zeke. Eric is at Stonemark Gamer. A review on iTunes will go a long way to helping others find our show and dive into the Age of Sigmar stories. Lastly, if you want to support the show, we have Mortal Realms status tokens available as a free do-it-yourself printable download. Or, for $15 US plus shipping, you can have 60 full-color, high-quality laser-cut tokens to help you keep track of your synergies on the battlefield. Go to thegamecrafters.com forward slash games forward slash mortal dash realms dash status dash tokens. 
my ears sweat like crazy. I'm sure. No, <laughs> sure. If, if if I'm editing, then anything that makes anyone else look worse than me, it stays in. So. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Great. I don't. I do not mind. I will bring the quality of your show way down to the basement. <laughs> All right. A lot of fun down start on us, iTunes shows. When you're ready, Davey, why don't you start us off with a, an introduction? <clears throat> <clears throat> a good nice. cough intro. Yeah, nailing it. 